Hello everybody, welcome to Frame Trap. I am your host, Ben Moore. Today I am joined by Bradley Ellis. Yo. And Brandon Jones. Yo. Uh, so we are still in quarantine, and I just wanted to ask you guys, uh, have you been able to, have you had more time to like catch up on things, maybe games or movies or TV shows? Like has this extra, this weird situation given you any extra space for stuff? Yes, I've had time, and it's been nice, actually. What have you been doing with I it? Got to, well, I got to play Chrono Cross. I actually finished the game. Nice. The longest backlog game I've ever had in my life. Finally <laughs> done. Uh, started to watch some westerns, actually. Mm. I haven't seen a western in a long time, so I asked Michael Huber to give me the best westerns. And so I started Unforgiven last night. Mm. Brad, it's pretty damn good. It would have been really funny good. if he would have just given you... A list of the best best westerns. I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> he said it was his Sausalito is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll start with that one. Which one did he say was his favorite? Unforgiven. Okay, nice, nice, nice. Tombstone, Brad. Tombstone. I've seen Tombstone before, okay. but right. it's been a long time, cool, so cool. I should probably watch it again, anyways. I'm not as forceful as as Huber about those things, but that oh man. I love, yeah. love, 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 love yeah. that movie. I've been it's in the really mood. It's really good. And it's it's good on just like so... Unforgiven's really great. It's just like so sad. <laughs> like the most oh, majority yeah. of the time. It's super it, slow pace, super yeah. sad. Yeah. Uh, Tombstone's just a great package of just humor and great mm-hmm. cast. And uh, Desperado, wait, I think it's a fun one. It's Jeff Goldblum, um, uh, a very young Kevin Costner. Oh, it's not Desperado. It's... Uh, damn. I can't... Oh, man. What is the... Ah... I can't remember ah. the name of it. Something auto. Silverado. 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 I've never even heard of that. Crazy cast. Just a lot of huh. people. Uh, a lot of people in that cast will be like, "Oh, it's that guy." But huh. um, yeah, uh, Kevin Klein. Good movie. Well, I haven't even seen a lot of the old Clint Eastwood ones still. So yeah. I'm like, I got to get to all those. Yep. Like that trilogy and everything. Good, bad, and the ugly is my favorite of yeah. all of his. Uh, Brandon, how about you? Anything you've been chipping away at? Uh, no, not in the sense of. Um, uh, I mean, I like I finished Final Fantasy VII Remake. I've been playing a ton of Animal Crossing. So, like, I just have, like, big games that have taken up a lot of my time. I'm happy that I've been able to play as much Animal Crossing as I have. I'm happy that, like, I'm not, like, tired of it at all. And that, like, I've had, you know, at least, like, an hour every day. You know, maybe, like, 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Man, the last couple of days, I felt really bad because I haven't been able to put any significant amount of time in Animal Crossing. But I make sure to log in just to get the 300 Nook Miles. Yeah. And like do a quick tour of the shops, but yeah, I haven't been able I haven't done my huge island redesign that I want to do yet. Mm. I went I went at that ATM one day and they were like, "Oh, uh yeah, we'll just give you these miles, but uh, you lost your streak." And I was like, "How did what? Huh? My streak." <laughs> it's like I just did, I missed a day. <laughs> oh, I was no. like, "Yeah, it's the worst oh, feeling." That sucks. That sucks. I mean, you know. But yeah, it's 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 uh you're you're never quite done. It's so funny, Ben. I I do the island hop every week, and a, a lot of people's islands I go to, they're like, "It's a work in progress." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "They all are." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. We're, we're gonna play this game for eight months. We'll still be like, mm, "I just want to put something over there." But one thing that I've a habit that I've gotten into that I have not been in, I have not done since the early days of Easy Allies was uh, when I first had my like office set up in the garage. 
I would put on something in the background. I would just put on like something on Netflix, something that was really pretty and colorful of sci-fi, which is the volume off like while I cut a podcast. And since I've been doing the podcast, I'm hosting, moderating now, I got to get love and respect questions and look for a good bet. And there's just a lot of stuff I have to do that doesn't involve me listening to or manipulating video or, or, or audio. It's just research. And so it's like, yeah, I'll put on the Equalizer 2. You know, like, sure. Or I'll put on, you know, just something Sicario 2. Like, yeah, you know, just like any 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 random movies Huber's thrown at me in the last two or three years and just dig into, you know, that that Amazon Prime video, you know, subscription. I, I just went hard on the MCU a couple weeks ago and just rewatched like Thor 1, Thor 2, uh, first Captain America, just like a lot of movies that I, I can just kind of half pay attention to because I've seen them or I'm not like super invested. And that's been great. It's been nice to, I'll, I'll just be like, well, I'll be eating dinner with Amanda and I'll bring up some random movie. And she's like, when the hell did you watch that? And I'm like, oh, just, you know, just put it on the background. It's funny you say that, Brandon, because I'm sure that's what frame trap is for so many people where they're just like, ah, I'll yeah. just put it on the background. And it's oh, great to yeah. have those things. Uh, speaking of prime video though, man, I was going to say I'm in a horror mood, but I think I'm always down for horror. I'm learning that it's mm. not a mood. It's just kind of a constant state. I've just been watching like every Friday the 13th, like Whoa. just going through all of them on part five. Uh, and they're all, well, no, they're not all on prime video, but one through five definitely are. And uh, that's been fun. Yeah. It's yeah. just the, the, like part three doesn't have a plot. It's just like, <laughs> all right, teenagers are having sex and this guy comes and kills them. Like there really is mm-hmm. not, the, the, it's the loosest plot you could possibly have. Not that I have high expectations for it, but it's great. It's fun. It's fun. I rewatched The Cabin in the Woods. Mm. Did you see that? The, I have the Joss seen Whedon it. script. Mm-hmm. I've only seen it yeah. once, though, and I really liked it when I saw it. But uh, Holds up. I could do it for a rewatch. A, yeah. a pre-Thor Chris Hemsworth. Who's like super tall and muscular and chiseled, but like compared to Thor, Chris Hemsworth, he looks like a like a wee lad. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's a, a very funny movie. I feel I, like that held up on my second viewing. That movie, though, like you go into it for the twists, right? And it does. It takes some mm-hmm. pretty crazy turns. And I, I wonder if like knowing that stuff worries. No, the, it does. The rewatch because you pick up on all the jokes. Um, like you, 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 if you, if you not only know what's going on, sure. but you know the fates of some of those characters, it's kind of fun to see how they're they tease that stuff. Gotcha. And you know, if there's just a lot of people in that world that know quote unquote what's going on, and so when you're on their page, then you pick up. There's a lot of little notes. I was like, oh, that guy just wasn't being a, a jerk. He actually was commenting on something they were going to find out an hour later. Um, but yeah, I'm always down for new horror. Horror is really great with on-demand video. Yes. You're, you're, you're very forgiving. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree with that sentiment completely. I watched all the Saw films like a year and a half ago, and like there was no expectations at all. Yeah. <laughs> but I could not stop watching them because it was like it was like a TV. It was like a season of television almost, you know, because like one movie would just roll right into the next one. Man, Saw. So I'm just like Saw Six. Fine, let's go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've seen Jigsaw. I think I've seen up through Saw Five. Saw One. I still really like Saw One. Yeah, it's a very clever film. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of goes downhill, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to rewatch. Um, speaking of checking things out, though, Brad and Jones, I'm gonna have you lead this discussion. But Brad, you've also been checking out Mafia Two Definitive Edition. Yeah, I got to play it like for an hour today or so. Got a feel for the Dip game. Your toes in. Yeah, uh, but Brandon, you had not played Mafia Two before. I played the original Mafia Two, uh, so yeah. I have that as a point of reference. But man, I okay. I don't want to. 
I hear this this definitive edition is kind of a hot mess. That's that's the word on the street. Yeah, here's the thing though. It's so funny. I don't I'm I'm trying to remember my history with remasters, comparing remasters of games that I have played versus ones I have not. And mm. I haven't like touched Mafia 2. Mm. I am loving it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's really interesting. And this happens every now and then. I this happened also with Ghost Recon where I was just like, "Oh yeah, this is the comfort food I need." Mm-hmm. And then I was playing and then I like like 3 days later I bumped into Huber and Huber's like, "I'm pulling my hair out right now with this stupid game." And I'm like, "Wait, what?" "Oh." <laughs> like, hmm. "Yeah, I guess you're right." You know, and then I like put my Huber goggles on and I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, he's right, you know. The and, beauty and, of like, ignorance. I, you know, like <sighs> It, it just looks like a remaster. Like there's there's something about, especially like skin textures. There's just something about Definitely. when you boot up a game and you tell it's like the best version of a game that shouldn't look this good. You know that like it's kind of got like the Silent Two thing where you're like, no, 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 I need the fog. Right. <laughs> like I need this shouldn't be that bright. That draw distance is too good actually because it really makes the world feel small now. And it's it's so strange with performance in remasters how like they're still popping still framing you take a you take a, a corner too fast in a car and just like whoa it chugs that the framiness uh, is what would kill me the most i think yeah but it's like uh, you know going being in in the end of this gen now going in back playing something i probably would have played on 360 at the time I, I'm really focused on the story. I'm really focused on the world, the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that I love most about it is one of the things that I've I've always found fascinating is how some open world games uh, wrestle with passage of time because you know like in GTA you can do stuff at any time you know someone will call you and be like hey come on by and you're like all right and then in game time you don't go see that person for two Mm -hmm. weeks but they when you see them they act like I just called you and so some games just don't even worry about it and then you have something like Spider-Man which is like no the world is locked right now like it is afternoon forever until you finish the story and move on and I thought that was interesting because I definitely felt if I was playing it for three hours and it was nighttime, I kind of felt a little more attached to actually the natural flow of time and mm-hmm. that like, well, if it was, if I was in New York and it was 10 PM to 1 PM, yeah, it would still look like this. So like I kind of got in the head sync with Spider-Man and with Mafia 2, it's chapter based. And so when I go buy a new outfit, it's like the next day. So I don't get a sense of like, oh, I wore this outfit for five days. Like I didn't, I really just wore it for a day, <laughs> you know? So like it, I, I am actually really immersed in the world, I don't want to spoil too much for people that are interested in checking it out, but like it goes places. Like it like it it rarely settles with one character relationship or one circumstance for very long, especially in just the first five, six hours. Like you it you know, it it uh um there are lots of ups and downs, passages of time, characters coming and going. Um and so I was surprised, like how just kind of immediately wrapped I was in it and um it, I felt bad because I kept thinking of all the jolly Huber vibes. You start out and it's winter, it's Christmas, you know, like I'm turning on the radio. There's all these classic songs from the forties. Like, Oh, this is great. Then I jump on Slack and Huber's like, yeah. <laughs> like, Oh no, <laughs> but he's talking about the remaster. Whereas I'm enjoying mafia too. So we're, time, yeah. it's interesting. Like we're both kind of experiencing mm-hmm. two different things. Everything you're saying about mafia two uh, holds true to my experience. My, my memory of it is definitely hazy, but I walked away from that game being really attached to the story and the characters, like you were saying, and just how they sell the family vibe, um, I yeah. think, very strongly in Mafia 2. Something that was a complaint, it didn't really bother me that much, and I know Huber argues very passionately against this, 
Um, but, you know, the most common complaint at the time with Mafia 2 was how worthless the open world felt, where there wasn't really anything to do um, other than, you know, travel from point to point. Uh, mm. How is that affecting you at all? I know somebody especially who loves open worlds and things to do in them. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm so focused on the story. I think I was a little rushed. I wanted to play as much of it before today. And so that definitely I see. affected my decision making. Whereas if I was just kind of like, whatever, it's, you know, I mean, it has been a long time since it after the original came out. But uh, if I wasn't playing it for a specific thing we were working on, maybe I would look for other entertainment. But I actually really enjoy activity wise. Yes, but uh, I really do enjoy just the flavor of the world. Like I said, there's passages of time, so weather changes. And um, uh, one thing is you go up a lot of stairs to get to your apartment, and they do a great job at different points in the story adding people to that staircase. Like uh, um, I, I went by, and the the either a lady that lives on the floor or the lady that owns the building was just like le- listening in on one apartment. Yeah, I actually and I, saw that too. I, and I go by her, and he's like, "What? Well, is this nothing on TV?" And she's like, "Mind your own business." And like, there's just a lot of that stuff. Mm. Like even just a guy with the bottle in his hand just sitting on the sidewalk, like uh, you know, like there was two homeless guys in a in a dog like arguing and yelling at each other just out the window when I walked down the stairs one time and I like watched them for a little bit and was like oh cool you know like Hmm. there's just a lot of that fun stuff um uh in one of the passage of time jumps there's a great thing with music because in the 40s there's like you know it's at the height of world war ii so the the radio will stop every now and then and talk about you know what's going on with the war effort and what you can do you know preserve rubber preserve gas and then you jump to the 50s you know and it's a completely different vibe it's much more colorful the music changed um so i really feel the world uh, kind of come alive, and I really do dig it. But it's it's nothing I would pin on the remaster. It's nothing I was. It's like oh, finally they brought this world to life. It really just feels like the way the game was built. So activity wise, I'm not, I'm not too, uh, I'm not too hung up on that so far. It it, it kind of feels like uh, general open world, um, kind of par for the course. I wonder if we're gonna reach a point where they are like making games. Set during the time of the coronavirus, you know, we'll have oh, sure, we'll have that experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, Whoa, I lived through this. That was so many that was because I don't have now. that attachment yeah. to like I didn't go through World War Two, and so it's different for me than it would be. Well, yeah, Ben, that's I was talking to Amanda about that because Amanda's like waiting for you know she's doing voiceover stuff and commercials, but like a lot of these industries are slowing down. It's like the writer strike. Like mm-hmm. we haven't really felt the impact of it yet. And it's going to be interesting when all of this is over, when we're out of it and we're like, please don't say the words COVID or face mask or, right. you know, it's like just enough. I don't want right. to. I finally got a haircut. Like, just stop. And like all of entertainment's going to be like, well, my COVID movie's done. And we're like, we don't want to right. <laughs> see yeah. that, you know, like 9-11 is a different thing because it's like, you know, that was one sink. That was like a day, you know, that like we all had to wrestle with for a long period of time. And so there were so many different angles of it that like after a passage of time, it was interesting to go back and see what firefighters went through, see what paramedics went through, see what people on you know the planes and so on. Whereas in this, it's just I think the world is just going to be so ready to move on. Right. And I imagine there's so many writers out there that are just like, I have to tell my story. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to I have to get this off my chest. And like, I don't know if that audience is going to be there. What, one thing about the world of Mafia 2 I dig is it's a little confusing because it's New York, but they call it Empire City. Mm-hmm. But then you also go to Sicily. So it's like sometimes in open world games, I find that confusing. Like in GTA Worlds, uh, I, I didn't even think about this until somebody brought it up or like in, I was playing GTA 5 and I was like, oh, it is a little weird that like it's clearly not our world, but the music is. 
Like you're hearing music from our world, but you're in cities that are not. They're like, yeah, Compton, and it's like there's no Compton. <laughs> like it's that's not a thing in this world. But like we're still, it's kind of like the dimensions are, are crossing over. There is an outside of New York and an inside of New York, and they 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 um, pace that out really well. Where you know you live in different places, and whenever you're like off of the island of Manhattan, it's neat to look over the river and see the Empire State Building mm-hmm. and, and the skyline, and it makes it feel so much bigger than it actually is. When you're actually in New York, it doesn't feel like a big, as big of a bustling city as it probably was at the time. Sure. Um, but one of the reasons why Red Dead, the original Red Dead is one of my favorite open world games, is it f- the amount of people riding around on horseback, the amount of people walking around in each town feels proportionate to how many buildings there are. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas like when GTA 5 came out, people were like, it's L.A. one to one. It's like it's very much not. It's it's like two percent of the size of the county of Los Angeles where this kind of it's like, yeah, I bet there'd be this many cars on the road. In the 40s, you know, or, or this many people in a shop or at any given time. It does. Uh, it's like Assassin's Creed. It's just fun to be in, an, in a different era and just kind of listen to it and, and get a vibe for what the, the pace of living was like at that time. How is the combat treating you? Uh, probably my least favorite. I don't really think about it. I'm not really attached to guns. Like the cars are kind of fun. You can tune them up and color them and stuff. Yeah. But like guns, I just I go on a mission. A guy drops a shotgun. I grab the shotgun. Like it, it wasn't something where it was like, oh, finally, I got, yeah. you know, the, the Tommy gun. It was just like, oh, I'm out of bullets. Well, I'll just get one on the next level, you know. It, and um, uh, the one thing that I do like about the combat is uh, it's uh, I'm playing on medium. Usually the difficulty is called normal, but it's easy, medium, hard. And it's just what it defaulted to. Uh, if you get hit like four or five times, you're out, mm. you know, and the and the checkpoints are not forgiving. <laughs> there was one mission where like I went all the I was like right at the end and then went like 10 minutes, you know, earlier. Oh. But but I kind of like, you know, like you get out of cover and a guy, you know, hits you with a shotgun. You get back into cover. You can't just, you know, you'll 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 regenerate a little bit of that health. But I do kind of like, you know, it, it feels brutal in some of those shootouts. So you kind of have to memorize, like, there's another guy on the other side of this door. I can't just walk into that room because there were times I'm like, oh, time to run up the staircase. And, like, I just would walk right into a guy sure. and get taken out. So Yeah, I, with Mafia 3, um, it was interesting because Mafia 2, I feel like everything that I remember and appreciate from that game has to do with, like, the scenarios that they put you in, the characters that you're interacting with, and the story that they're telling. And, like, you were saying being attached to those characters with mafia three i felt like playing it was such a chore and i like only cared about the story to such a sharp degree that yeah. it, like i almost just wish it was a movie because i wasn't i wasn't enjoying like playing it at all uh versus mafia two where a lot of the like shooting and and playing it i i didn't it wasn't like the thing that was sticking out to me but i didn't hate it i guess yeah uh it was serviceable enough um, Brad, outside of uh, the little bit that you spent with Mafia 2, do you have any Mafia experience? I know Huber, you know, obviously very no, important to him. No, it's always just something I've kind of seen it from afar sure. with Huber. Sure, sure, sure. Would it be one of those things where you'd, like, go over to his house and he'd be playing Mafia 1 or something? Yeah, Did that yeah, all the time okay. on his computer. Sure. Yeah. I know Huber, uh, back in the GT days when we did levels, he did one on Mafia 1, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he loves Mafia 1. Yeah. I, I like that you can uh, you get nailed for speeding, and the guys. I think in Mafia One you get in trouble if you run a red light, but in this one you have you, to. It's only I, speeding. Yeah, it's only speeding in this one, uh, which but is it's, weird. But but I it's fun. They forgot you know, about that in Mafia Two. Yeah, hmm. if you speed past a cop, they'll they'll uh, get upset, 
Um, but I mean, if you're going that fast, you probably will like zip past him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a car. I mentioned this, uh, I think on the podcast, but there's a car from Mafia Three. There's also his coat from Mafia yeah, Three in Mafia jacket. Two and the first game. I think so. Too. You can just you can just drive like a '70s hot rod in uh, Mafia Two <laughs> and just like, just yeah. not belong at all in this world. That's fun though. Um, but. Um, yeah, I'm a little little too immersed to break it that way. But actually, uh, Mafia 2 did something unexpectedly to me, Ben, that I've always sympathized with people that just hate Grand Theft Auto stories. Mm-hmm. I've, I love their sense of humor. I love meeting those new characters. I love how over the top it gets. But I've talked to people a lot before that are just like, I can't, I can't take that world seriously. I hate the story. I just buy, I buy those games. I run around a little bit and then I'm done. Uh, I, I'm getting a little closer to understanding for some reason, with the way that Mafia 2 is presenting a story, with what people say about the GTA series. Because Mafia 2 isn't a parody, it's like an homage to these other things. And GTA is definitely a parody. You know, like, and and it's I'm really understanding the crystal clear difference between those things. In that, like, there are moments, like, there's like a mission, I'll start a Mafia, or I'll be like, ah, oh, it's Goodfellas. You know, I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I see. You know, they, they want me to be a part of that fantasy. But they're taking it very seriously. Mm-hmm. So, like, they, they can manage to do both at the same time. Where, like, I'm still connected to these characters, but, like, I'm clearly in Shawshank Redemption right now. <laughs> you know, so I, 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 I wouldn't say I like one more or the other, but, like, I definitely am. It's one of the things I'm really enjoying about this is, like, I'm not really invested in the story because the twists and turns are just so shocking. But it's, it's because it's so muted in how it really just kind of lets me soak up its world and like there's your sister there's your mom there's your old friend there's that mob boss you'll meet him later you know like i just am really i really love the pace you know it's not too slow it's not too fast um it's it's very different from from other open world games that i've played uh and so i appreciate it for that um there's just a lot of games for this job that I pick up and I'm like, okay, I'm ready for frame trap. All right. I got to move on to other things. And like, I'm finishing the story. No question. I'm very, very curious to see where this goes. I think the problem that I've had with Grand Theft Auto in the past, and this might just be a personal thing is sometimes I would struggle because I would have so much fun just causing chaos or like finding my own fun or just, Mm -hmm. just like, okay, I really want to find a super fast car or whatever, whatever my made up objective was, I would have a blast. And then I'd go and, like, some of the missions in Grand Theft Auto would be awesome, but I would run into, like, that one mission where it's, like, I don't want to do this. This, like, thing that it's asking me to do either doesn't control well or it's boring or whatever. And so I would always struggle with that with Grand Theft Auto, where it's, like, well, why would I go and do these missions if I'm just having more fun, like, yeah. basically making my own game or whatever. So, yeah, that's that's always weird. Um and you can't really sandbox Mafia 2. You no. can't pull your gun out no. unless you're on a mission. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, you can, like, hit people with your car, but, like, you can't, you know, like, it's, it, it, uh, and I love it. It definitely is, you know, it's like, you are this character in this world. All of the decisions, all the opportunities that we give you, the flexibility, the freedom has to fit what, you know, that, what uh, your character would likely do. It's definitely more about soaking it in, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brad. Yes. You man, I'm really curious about this game. You reviewed I didn't even know you were reviewing it, but you reviewed uh Maneater. Mm-hmm. Um a game where you play as a shark and you eat a ton of people. It's an open world game where you're a shark. Yeah. Open world RPG where you're a shark, yeah. Um th- this was something that I think was really fun to watch uh at the PC gaming show during E3. Uh just the concept seemed very funny and interesting. Mm-hmm. How is it as a full fledged game? So 
It's pretty short, actually, for an open world. So what you might think of an open world RPG, it's pretty short. It's like 11 hours. Mm. It took me 11 hours to 100% the game. Okay. But it wasn't like, man, it felt really short. It ended when I felt like it should have ended. Okay. I was kind of like glad. I'm like, good. It didn't overstay its welcome kind of thing. Um, something in the trailers, they, they were. it seemed like they were definitely building up a you know coherent story for it. Like it wasn't just a gimmick. They have a narrative uh, around this game. Yeah, there's a narrative, yeah. Was that fulfilling to see through to the end? Uh, yeah, I guess it's like a very simple narrative. Mm. Like the whole premise of the game or like its story is filmed like you're you're watching like a reality tv show that follows like this hunter named scaly pete and his kind of whole scenario it's basically the beginning of the game is you play as a shark the hunter catches you kills the shark then he pulls out a baby shark out of the, the mother shark and that's who you'll play as in the game and you bite off his arm and he throws you in the water then the rest of the game is like you starting as a little Little shark to get bigger, bigger, bigger to finally have a showdown with him. Nice. Okay. Um, so you're you're basically evolving as a shark. Uh, yes. Th- is that evolution like? Do you see pretty substantial? Oh yeah. Changes to what you can do, like in and out of oh, the yeah. water. Oh yeah. So, so yeah, you start real small, of course. Like eventually, you're gonna get you're gonna get pretty massive. You're gonna be bigger than great whites. But mm-hmm. what's the most fun part is your shark. You kind of have like equipment slots, so you can equip different types of like I used to be like a different like sh- uh, shark type so there's like a different fin type there's like shadow bone and like electricity and they all have like their own advantages like shadow has life steal on it the bone is great for like uh messing up ships it has bonus damage and the electric one can stun enemies and so you put these on your shark and it changes the way your shark looks and you can also upgrade these throughout the game to make them even stronger and when you get like the whole set you put on the set, you get a nice little set bonus. Very, like, old-school, like, MMO almost. Cool. With your gear pieces. Man, I feel like this is a, a perfect game for streaming as well. Dude, it's a very... Yeah, it's a great... It's a game you can just, like, hop in and have a good time with. Mm. Um, so you're... The, and I, yeah, ahead. sorry, and I, and I feel bad, but you... Uh, I don't know if we score drop here on Frame Trap, but... Uh, yeah, you can score when drop. I got your, oh, you can score drop it. When I got your score, Brad, for that, I was like... <laughs> that's kind yeah, of I'm what guess, I expected. I'm gonna guess seven five. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. Yeah, I, and I did not know that. I mean, I saw other places yeah, give it seven, but I didn't yeah. know what we gave it. But it's like it makes me wonder: like, could Maneater be better than a seven five? Should it be better than a seven <laughs> yeah. five? If you're developing Maneater and you're trying to push for that eight, that yeah. eight five, are you working too hard? Like, I, you know, there's just some <laughs> games that just should be fun. They just should be. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, could a Katamari Damacy ever be a ten? You know, because right. it's, you, some would you, argue you, it already is. I know, but but like oh, you, right. pro- like I approach that series for what it is. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. to get a no, specific get amount of enjoyment, and so it's 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 funny. Like I think I think they 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 made the game I was expecting at least. And yeah, I'm curious. definitely. The so it's what's there is really strong and solid. Like everything works fine, or from what I played it on. Uh, but the problem with the game is I had is just like the repetition. Yeah, you're a shark majority pretty much everything you're gonna do is gonna be eating stuff and it's like most of the missions are like eat 10 people eat 10 10 turtles fight this like shark and it's that's kind of like the whole game and they don't really do a lot to surprise you you're kind of like doing like you're fighting like just normal humans basically throughout the whole game 
they really do anything to change it up. Like the most changing up is just kind of the locations you go to, but you very much will be doing the same things over and over and over again. Brad, my biggest concern with this game is like you, you were calling it short at 11 hours and I totally get where you're coming from. I think my worry is that like I'll play an hour and that hour is all I'll ever need. <laughs> like maybe. Yeah. Um, Cause like, I feel like when you start off, you're so limited. I see shark, but once you start getting bigger, so some areas are locked, like shortcut stuff. But once you get bigger, you can actually break through them. Yeah, there's like a, a little time type of progression. Like your gear pieces, like you don't get a lot of these until you're bigger, like further on in the game. So you always kind of have something to work for. Do you think uh, out? So uh, the flip side of the progression, right, where you're getting more things that you can do. Do you are the enemies? or human beings that you're eating, or the sharks that you're fighting, like, are they also progressing in interesting ways? Where it's like, I, ha- no. I have to take a different tactic. Not really. Not, so, okay. so, yeah, there's, like, a wanted system style thing in this game, where if, you, you know, you cause too much trouble, some bounty hunters are going to try to come and get you. There's ten levels to it. Each level has a unique bounty hunter, and they're all kind, they're all pretty much the same. Like, fighting them is exactly the same, until, like, the last two... They, like, have, like, an electric field around their boat. And you have to, like, do a di- something different you haven't done. Mm. But that's about it. Okay. Um, I don't... I guess I don't really want to, like, spoil it since it is the final thing. But, you know, building up, having, like, mm-hmm. kind of the whole narrative rest on the sh- final showdown. Did you feel like that was satisfying? Or did it feel just kind of more, more of the same? Yeah, I mean, it felt... Like, so the story in this game is not going to, like, enthrall you by any means. It's just there to keep you kind of going. But I was kind of interested to see how it ended. Mm. And how it ended, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. This is a game about being a shark. Like, how it ended is like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm cool with that. But I wasn't like, dude, fuck yeah, that was sick. (laughs) But I was like, all right. (laughs) Like, if you like movies like Jaws and stuff, you will like this game. Is it? I like movies like Jaws and stuff. Do you know, yes. Brad, if it's a $60 game? It's 40 Okay. okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. It's 40 bucks. Knock it down. Yeah. I like it. So, but yeah, it's a good time. Like, what's there is really fun. You'll have a good time doing it, but it's not going to blow you away. Cool. Brad, can, do you, when you just surface, do people mm-hmm. freak out? Like, if there's a bunch of swimmers yeah. on the beach and you just kind of pop to the surface and, like, yeah, I haven't bitten anybody like, or doing anything, do they see you and, like, yeah, I f- they freak out like, you know, their degrees of freaking out vary depending. Sure. Like, you know, they're just kind of like, sometimes they're just kind of weird and stand there. Sometimes they run away. I don't know. It's kind of inconsistent. But I definitely got the vibe because there's like people screaming mm-hmm. stuff like that. If you're really into Jones, I almost wrote this in the review. I, <laughs> I had a Huber moment and I was like, man, I should really talk about how satisfying it is to crunch someone and hear them screaming underwater. <laughs> Oh, the different. And I was like, eh, I don't know if I need to write that. <laughs> but that was definitely my humor moment. It, I've I've had moments like that in reviews where you're like talking about how satisfying the the violence is, and you you do you mm-hmm. have that pullback moment where you're like, I sound like a psychopath. Like the point yeah. in this game is to kill stuff. Like you're a psychopath in the right, game, right? Right, right. Yeah. But you yeah. sometimes you you feel that disconnect between where you're like, wait, what the hell? I was am just, I, saying? Well, I was just like, oh, it'll probably just come across in the footage. I don't know yeah. if I need Jones to say that out loud or something. <laughs> uh, well, I got something that I'm very excited to talk about. I'm also a little bit frustrated uh, because. <laughs> 
you know, Nintendo embargoes are always tricky beasts. They're usually pretty restrictive. Uh, yes. And some of the, like, one thing, in, one thing in particular that I can't talk about, I'm like, wh- why? Why can't I talk about it? But uh, I've been playing Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition for review. And I went into this review knowing that this was a massive game. But be it, I'm like 45, somewhere around there, hours into it. And I'm like, oh my god, like this game is so hmm. big. What do you like halfway yeah, through? Yeah, I'm like halfway. It's, <laughs> it's giant. It's giant. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting because my first playthrough, it wasn't the first time I had played it ever, but the first time I had gone all the way through it, um, was on a stream, and that's that's mm-hmm. very different than just playing it on your own. And I, I feel like I, I'm having a slightly different experience not having an audience. Um, and like some things annoy you more, uh, and I think you also appreciate other things a little bit more. And um, first of all, getting this out of the way, like a lot of games use the moniker like Definitive Edition, like Mafia Two, I believe, uses Definitive Edition. All three. Yeah. <laughs> For different reasons. <laughs> I feel like Xenoblade Chronicles really earns it. Like, man, the facelift is super nice. Uh, particularly, like, facelift is a perfect word for it because oh, yeah. just the faces in general. I was a little bit weirded out, I think, by, like, Ryan at first, one of your party members, but I've gotten used to him. And just, like, seeing them side by side, the original version and the definitive edition, it's like, wow, this, this is a really big upgrade. But I think beyond that, what I appreciate more even than just the the character models being upgraded right and the like things looking better is the ui one of my biggest complaints with xenoblade chronicles was how much of a pain in the ass the ui was and it's a lot better here just in terms of like changing equipment and sorting through things they've kind of cleaned it up where i feel like it's faster and it's more readable and so, like, a good example of that is in the original version of Xenoblade Chronicles, you, when you get into somebody's, like, inventory, it's just like, okay, I'm looking at all of their weapons, but, like, I can't see at a glance what everything is, like, easily. Whereas now it's like, oh, here's names for everything. I feel like it's it's just, like, I, I can quickly get to what I want more easily. It's like, oh, that thing. That's what I want. I want to sell that or I want to equip that or whatever. Just more readable in general. But uh, the game is notorious for its side quests, which are still very bad. <laughs> oh. um, but <laughs> okay. they, they made them more digestible. So now um, when you do a side quest, you can see like on the mini-map, like this is exactly what I need to kill. This is exactly what I need to go. You can set things as active quests so they'll appear on your mini-map. And so... The problem with the side quest is there is, like, an unholy amount of them. Like, if you are playing this game for the first time, it is, like, MMO level of, of oh side quests. Um, and they're just not that interesting. So one of, the, one of the biggest disappointments for me is, like, some of the setups, like, some of the context around the side quests are, like, kind of cool. But your characters do a lot of, like, canned responses where it's, like, they accept a side quest and they say the same thing. Like, oh, I better help out you know that's essentially the spirit of it and they just kind of say that canned response over and over and over again um what i will say in defense of the side quests is sometimes the rewards you get are very valuable like some of the gems you get or just the experience can be really nice like you will notice that um and since i'm not doing it on stream i'm spending a lot more time with the side quests and it's like oh things that were harder for me on the stream are a lot easier now 
Um, you also get to it, it's it's a good reason to explore the world, and the world in Xenoblade Chronicles is a star. Like it's awesome, just like finding a secret area or a rare monster or just like a huge view. Like Xenoblade Chronicles does a really excellent job of being like we're gonna send you to these areas and they're going to feel massive and they're going to feel dangerous. And so, you know, the the one defense that I have for the side quests is like, it is an excuse to get out there and, and interact with stuff, which is cool. Um, but I am so excited. Like Brad, I know you're going to be checking out Xenoblade mm-hmm. Chronicles. Like mm-hmm. it was one of those things where I finished it and I was like, that's one of my favorite RPGs. Like I just was so high on it and replaying it. Right. Um, I still feel that way. Like this game, does so many cool things. I I really stand behind a lot of its cast. Um, But what I stand behind more than anything else, I think uh, outside of the world and the exploration is the mystery that it builds. It really builds a fascinating mystery and, you know, you start the game by learning that these people are basically living on the remnants of this Titan. And kind of as you slowly unravel why that is, uh, it's they really keep you on the hook. Um, and like you want to pay attention to what's going on because they're building that mystery uh, so well. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it, I, I really do think like Xenoblade Chronicles lives up to the hype. Um, I do think that the side quest thing especially is one of its biggest weaknesses. Um, but man, even the combat is so good um, because unfortunately you can't switch between party members during a fight, but outside of combat, you can switch between party members and everybody plays so differently. Um, like, yes, things fall into like the healer tank damage dealer role, but they're like really crazy twists on them. So, like, your mage, you can summon these elements behind you, and you can shoot them off for damage, but if you leave them on, they'll give your party, like, buffs. And so, hmm. you kind of have that dynamic of, like, well, do I want the damage, or do I want to give my party more strength, or, like, passive HP regeneration, all that stuff. And so, um, not to get too much into the weeds, but I, I, I would recommend that if you are playing this game, don't just play as Shulk. Shulk is really, really good, and you're going to want to <laughs> keep him around, but... Uh, definitely go out of your way to experiment and and see uh, what everybody is capable of. It's it's pretty fun from a variety standpoint. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah, yeah dude. Ben. I don't I don't mind side quests <laughs> at all. Yeah, you're speaking <laughs> so you're like everything that I'm saying. You're like this doesn't bother me at all. Well, it's it's funny because it, are, are they unlimited? Like, are they that bad that they just recycle? It's just kind of like they're the not same. they're not unlimited. Uh, it's definitely like you can sweep through an area but even that is kind of annoying because certain side quests you only find at certain times of day and like some side quests can only be completed at like very specific times where it's like okay you're only going to encounter this monster during a thunderstorm got it um the other thing that is lame that they do and i don't understand why they do this is you'll get a side quest from somebody and then they'll so there's an exclamation mark above their head you know classic like wow style uh, when they have a side quest and you'll get the side quest from them and then they'll just immediately have another exclamation mark. It's like, oh, this person has four side quests, but rather than just like getting them all at once, I have to like keep talking to them. Uh, but yeah, Brandon, especially for you. And like, I don't mind grinding either. Like, it's kind of nice just 
getting overpowered and getting like the most optimal equipment. I do find kind of an innate um, satisfaction to that in that, and I, I think. I think this is like kind of a game made for you in a way. Like you just I, I, get I've, lost. <laughs> in it. I've long adored it from afar. Yeah. It's like it's like me with like chips and guacamole at a Mexican restaurant before dinner, where you just like I'll go through three bowls and then like finally like my my burritos are here and I'm like I, I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> I've just been eating chips and guac for like an hour, and like that's where I'm at a lot of times with RPGs. Um, and especially if you're saying if you could feel those gains, you know, if you just get, you yeah. know, a little bonus here, a little something, uh, even if they're even if they're tiny, you know, like any little advantage. Um, uh, I'm a sucker for that stuff. I don't know when to stop. Well, so I mean, there, there's just so many layers to it. And it's why mm. like, <laughs> just trying to get this game done for review. On one hand, it's nice because it's like, well, I'm not on stream. So I want to, like, explore the site stuff more. But then it's also like, oh, I got to get this review done. And so I'm feeling the, the the pressure from that end but beyond the side quest which there are like when i say an unholy amount that is like <laughs> an accurate description there are a ton um there's also like this collectopedia where you just you have like this book essentially and you've got these uh rows and if you fill all of them out brandon you get a little reward, which is no, something that I do. No. Yeah, and then if you fill out the entire page, you get a, another reward on top of that. Oh, no. Okay, the second that I'm not playing this. Um, <laughs> there's also uh, Colony Six. So there's this. There are these human colonies, and uh, Colony Six is one that gets completely destroyed, and you can go and you can help rebuild it. So you mm. can give them. Mm materials and then they'll build different stuff so it's like well i want more shops in this area you can go and like help build up the commercial district or the residential district and so there's just a a ton of things to sink time into but at the same time well i'm glad well i wish the side quest would be better i do i'm glad that that optional stuff is there for people who want to dig into it and i also do think like the main story really holds up um, I know co- people complain a lot about stories in JRPGs not being that very not very interesting or whatever, but I love the mystery and the vibe and get just kind of how unique uh, Xenoblade Chronicles mm-hmm. feels. I know a lot of people were <clears throat> kind of pulled back from 2 because of how extremely anime it is. And there is definitely a lot of anime in Xenoblade Chronicles, but I, I do feel like it's more grounded. Um, than two sure. is so if kind of the the anime extremities of two turns you away i still think one might be worth giving a chance if you are if you are adverse to any anime in your rpgs like this is not going to do it for you um but if you have a little bit of tolerance i think i think one is worth checking out if i can level up the characters while also leveling up my anime <laughs> then hell yeah brandon you're my already anime an anime meter. expert though mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. you, there's just always you're at 100 there's always baby. more to Ben, there's always more to learn. Isn't there like post game stuff now? New story thing? There is. That's super long. Yeah. Um, and so I haven't dug into that at all yet. Obviously, yeah. for the review. This, this review. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, for the review, I'll go into it. Um, and I wish, but I'm kind of just playing through the whole game again, and then I'll go into. Can you um, hop stuff. in from the start? You can't. Yep. So it's it's that's sweet. I mean, that's really cool. I should say, I guess to clarify, I haven't actually gone into the extra story mode from the main menu, but it is right there on the main menu when you boot up. Cool. The game. That's great. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brad, you know it's got that uh, 
uh, checklist of extra like monsters to find and stuff is Final Fantasy fourteen. That was something mm-hmm. that I was yeah. like way into. Yeah, the hunter's log. Yeah, yeah. it's just so simple. XP, and baby. It's just like, uh, love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Check those off. What's it? What's that? What uh, is that on everything? Is that on Xbox, PS4, nope, and Switch, or is that just the Switch? Switch. It's, uh, it's first party. Yep. Yeah, basically, oh, okay. yeah. Basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nintendo owns them, right? Monolith. Do they? I think they own them. Because I know Monolith has done mm-hmm. work for other platforms. I should know this. I believe they are. Fact checking. Quick check, baby. Yeah. Originally owned check. by Namco until being oh. bought by Nintendo in 2007. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Cool. Good pickup, Nintendo. Yeah. Cool. Um, guys, I actually have some good news. Some of the best oh, news I've had on Frame Trap. Uh, since this whole thing started, we don't have any frame trap demons today. <gasps> Dude, pure run. Yeah, they they've been in a war. These we so I want to introduce the angels of frame trap. Uh, of course, oh, you're making you know, this Diablo. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, there always has to be two sides to everything, and right now yeah. the angels of the frame trap realm are winning. And so they're, you know, they're not trying to get you. They're not trying to say any, uh, like, oh, you know, shame on Brandon for saying this. They are here to create a space uh, for you guys to give a shout out to whatever you want. It doesn't even have to be a game, but maybe something you oh. think deserves a little bit more attention. Hmm. I could start us off if you need some time to think. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I'm only four episodes in. But uh, I really like the Evil Dead series, so Evil Dead 1, 2, and I like the remake as well. Uh, But for some reason, I just thought a TV show about Evil Dead would suck, even though Bruce Campbell's in it. Right. Uh, But I've been giving Ash vs. Evil Dead a chance, and it's awesome. Like, I I am shocked at how much I'm enjoying it. So uh, if you're looking for something that is, like, violent and crass and fun... It, it feels like it captures the Evil Dead spirit, like, almost perfectly. I really dig it. I hope it stays nice. good. Uh, yeah, I got one. I haven't even played it yet, but shout out to Xenoblade Definition for addressing my con- my gripes with the first game and giving me a dream scenario to actually let me play the game. The faces. So shout out. The faces, the ugly standard def graphics in this huge world. Yeah, everything is so I much cleaner, it. man. Like, that UI. And like... Uh, all my complaints, they're like, oh, okay, well, here, let's just, we'll change it all for you, specifically. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like they catered to me, specifically, and I'm I'm all for it. Uh, I would like to shout out our community for uh, being absolutely wonderful during my Animal Crossing Island hops every week. Oh, yeah. Uh, because up. that involves so many different levels of being awesome like the patience at like i'll have some people send me a code they're like here's my friend code yeah i would love to be a part of the stream i'm like okay cool and then like three or four weeks later they're like where am i on the list i'm like far away <laughs> like, I have, like 200 plus like people to go visit and i've just barely cracked 100 like hopefully i will get to your island one of these days but also like you know i've been bouncing the stream times around and so they'll be available at this time where i'm you know ready to stream and then you know some of them will like give me presents and i feel bad because i'll see something that i really like and i'm just like oh that's really cool it's neat how you did that and then like the next day they'll like send me a present in the mail i'm like you didn't have to do that but yay yeah. <laughs> you know, like this wallpaper is so cool um and it's 
it's given the game longevity in a way I haven't experienced. Um, I think I would still be playing this. I'm enjoying it enough just playing with Amanda every day and like checking what's in her shop and, you know, sending her presents or doing stuff together. I saw that Amanda was uh, streaming some Hearthstone on. Yeah, she's streaming Hearthstone. Dude, sick. Right now. Oh, Juicer hey, Hearthstone. Shout out. What's, what's uh, yeah. your. Uh, she playing Demon Hunter? Uh, so that she and her um, improv troupe, they're called Ripley Improv. Ripley as an alien, Ripley. Yeah. Uh, Ripley Improv, one word. Uh, so they're twitch.tv slash Ripley Improv. And they uh, individually, uh, listeners of this program might be familiar with Jessica Linverdi, who's been on Fiasco Knots and done some other stuff with us. And uh, she is a part of Ripley. And uh, she has, there's others members of the team that have done a lot of stuff for Hyper RPG and Nerdist and Geek and Sundry. Uh, and so they're no strangers to live streaming and tabletop stuff. Um, but they're they're finally getting their own uh, channel up and running. And they're doing, uh, I got two shout outs, nice. Uh, they're doing uh, once a month. They're going to do a long form uh, narrative improv, which will be really fun. It's kind of like Fiasco Knots with the, you, they take the training wheels off. Like there's no rules that they need to follow. They literally just take a suggestion from the from chat and then they tell a story for a full hour. Mm. Um, and that was really fun because we we've gotten better at this whole Zoom thing, but they're really doing a lot of fun creative things with backgrounds yeah. and like. One of them will get on one side of the screen, the other one will get on the other side, so when it cuts back and forth, they have somebody outside of the cast that's managing the edits, somebody outside of that that's managing the music, um, and then, you know, on, on that side, uh, it's been it's been fun for Amanda. She just, before I was getting ready for Frame Trap, she, like, came in, she's like, I'm going to stream Hearthstone, is that okay? And I was like, please. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been fun for her to, you know, just to experiment the, the joy of live streaming. Yeah. The gift that keeps on giving. Hell yeah, man. You know, I was only going to do one shout out, but uh, Brandon, you made me think of it. And, you know, it's my show. Two shout outs. Let's go. Um, mm. You mentioned the community and, and being like so awesome and understanding with your Animal Crossing streams. And I've had a similar experience uh, with Ben's Dojo. And so I've wanted to bring back the fighting game streams at Ben's Dojo for a long time. But I think there was, there was definitely some hesitation where I'm like, ah, uh, you know, like... It's just very competitive, and I hope people are understanding. Like, as I'm learning, you know, I'm not very good. And, and so I think that anxiety definitely got to me a little bit. But people have been awesome. Like, mm-hmm. they have been so helpful and just, like, chill. And it's, like, exactly what I would want anybody learning a fighting game to go through. Like, like no salt, like, no antagonism really at all. Like, just super good fun like let's play this game and get better at it vibes it's like it's like ideal in a way that i mm-hmm. was not uh expecting so shout out and hey if you want to like if you've been intimidated by fighting games i think they're pretty pretty friendly streams so yeah that's awesome yeah um making this caught in a frame trap happen though even though we're not caught in a frame trap this this moment of reflection happened is our uh, wonderful shout-out to your patrons. If you want to find out more information, go to patreon.com slash easyallies. Uh, you can check out this $250 tier. And today, uh, what I wanted to do, I'm calling this, like, system of a down style, where I will <laughs> say a name and we'll go, shut up! Just as quick as you can possibly say it. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. See where I'm coming from with that? Very appropriate. Yeah. yeah. $250 worth of shout-out! <laughs> okay, so... Our first shout-out is Blue. <laughs> shut up! Shut up! <laughs> Caleb Togi Crawford. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> L. Thanis. Shut, shut up! Shut up! <laughs> Greg the Dark Knight Kettering. Shut up! Shut up! 
And last but certainly not least, Jesse Blue. Brr, shut up! <laughs> shut up the brr, the brr. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, Brandon Jones. Yeah. You have been playing, you, well, you streamed a game that I've never heard of before, and you said that uh, you could talk about it on this episode of yeah. Frame Trap called Boot Hill Bounties. Yeah, it's fun when we have the codes that float around, um, you, you know, like like we're all little chicks up in the nest, and, mm-hmm. and Mama Bloodworth flaps in, you know, and caca, right. caca, like all of us try to grab stuff. Um, I I am, you know, have a lot of other things generally that I'm focused on other than, you know, just the raw uh, streaming, reviewing, games coverage. Um, and so it is, it is odd, I think, and one that I'm looking forward to actually uh, is... L- lonely downhill that like biker game where you're yeah. just on a bike like barreling yeah. down i liked a message blood and i was like i want that <laughs> yeah know, he like, talked I, about it on I'm, frame trap i believe i might yeah. stream that game um it looks fun yeah. and so every now and then there's some things that uh i think are like up my alley and i just got an email from bloodworth and he's like yeah i got a uh uh jrpg western and i was like sure isn't it hilarious like that's all it takes mm-hmm. yeah uh and so the email that I got sent said Earthbound meets Red Dead Redemption. I was like, Whoa. go on. <laughs> Let's see what you got. It's definitely more Earthbound uh, than Red Dead. And I feel bad before I started because, uh, Ben, you reached out to me about what we could talk about today on Frame Trap. And I was like, oh, I did, I did stream Boot Hill Bounties. And you can go back at youtube.com slash easy eyes plays and see my stream if you'd like to know more. Um, I got totally stuck on a quest right when the stream ended. And I was like, well... There we go. <laughs> there was just something. They were asking me to do something, and I thought I did it, but I couldn't finish it. But before I started, I was like, oh, no. I hardly remember the real specifics of the battle system, mm. and that's a mistake, especially for JRPG going into frame trap. I always ask about into, the battle system, yeah. Every I don't time. got a lot for you. The one thing that I do, uh, that I did appreciate, is it accounted lore-wise, because you're mostly fighting animals, as you, at least you go through the beginning of this game, I'm sure later on I fight a bunch of cowboys and, uh, you know, hopefully, like, maybe some undead or something, I don't know, but uh, there's just a lot of, like, squirrels and, you know, evil foxes and stuff, and... I didn't kill any of them. When the fights were all over, they like it like said specifically they scampered off, and I was mm. like, "Oh, okay," you know. So it's just kind of like a struggle for territory, and not necessarily going out and just you know like Red Dead, where you actually like skin them and like peel the, like, the fur off. That's something that's always so funny about Pokemon is it's like something gets blasted with a hyper beam, and it's like, "Oh, no, I just fainted." It's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> just, not. <laughs> nothing evaporated. It's just yeah. Um, but it definitely, it definitely has an Earthbound vibe. You know, the characters have big heads. The the world is very, you know, uh, 2D, but they do a lot of fun things with perspective. So you will kind of linearly, like, travel up to a higher place. And then once you're up on that cliff, you'll then see the town that you were in uh, in the background. Um, and it has somewhat of a serious story. There was a struggle uh, between you know, Native American tribes that we kind of get embroiled in, and, you know, we do have one member of the tribe that's a part of your team uh, that when she joined, I was like, bow and arrows, yes! <laughs> like, let's do it. But um, uh, it still is kind of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, it definitely uh, is 
plays to your expectations of a lot of things that you would expect from a Western, but in a good way. Uh, they do a good job just in the tutorial. Again, I just streamed it for two hours. So like just in that span of time, uh, I got a full four person party nice. um, and was able to you know see the differences. Um, and the way that uh, one of the ways that you level up is hats are a big deal. So hats are like the closest that the game comes to classes where you can kind of change up your style like when you put on a brand new hat that you either unlock or you get from a finishing a boss fight or I'm sure later on in the game you can probably buy them um, not only obviously can you see that on your character but that gives you a different skill set and then when you get to a certain level you just then can adopt those skills and then if you put on a different hat you can then bring those skills over um, and so uh, it was interesting it's specifically being hats I thought with the western that it's like oh, okay I got a Stetson on and that like you know kind of indicates like how I'm going to fight um but it it's funny, Ben. I'm actually curious. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of super involved combat systems in role playing games mm-hmm. in terms of uh, I, I like it when I have the the chance to really dig in to specifics of how I want to fight something. So if I'm in a battle and I'm like, okay, this is difficult. I really need to look at the minutia of the system and really figure out what I'm doing wrong or, or how I can buff up. Or if I'm paying attention to one fight, it takes a little bit longer. I'm not really a fan of, uh, battle systems where it's like every fight is hard. You know, it's like every single time you get into a system, you got to go through, you got to build up and then do your big attacks. Otherwise, you're going to struggle every single time. I think it just and this comes t- down to structure because mm-hmm. I, I, I like it when like, okay, well, if you're going to make me fight a bunch of stuff, you can't have every fight take forever or have every fight be super complicated. But when you do swing for the fences and you have like a big boss fight, and you make it more complex or you demand like a level of understanding with the systems, I appreciate that. Like I hate in JRPGs when you're fighting bosses that are like just as easy as the trash that you've been fighting mm-hmm. up into the boss. Like there needs to be some sort of balance. And and one thing that, uh, and it's interesting that I'm, you know, w- with your, your Bravely Defaults and your Octopath Travelers, mm-hmm. like slowly but surely I'm like you know, branching out to learn like lots of other um uh, combat scenarios and one thing that I am that this game doesn't necessarily uh, focus on too intently but one thing that I enjoy um, that I'm seeing pop up in a lot of other games is just this kind of like stagger system where it's yeah. like once you know you know the type of enemy that you're going against you know what type of moves you can do to kind of get them in a vulnerable position and then you capitalize on that and one thing that I'm not that familiar with that this game does that I'm seeing also in other games is uh Obviously, if I'm playing something like, you know, Jedi Fallen Order, like you start, you you have to learn how to telegraph those attacks. So you know when they're about to do something that's really intense or you do better at the game when you know that. Whereas in turn-based games, especially stuff with like an active time battle system, I'm not used to stuff like that. Mm. It's usually just like, I just had enough health or I have to react after the fact uh, when stuff like that happens and not necessarily like see that stuff uh, in advance. And you can see how much of your like ATB meter, I'll just call it, you, you need to spend to do some of the crazier attacks. But you can also see the enemies do that. Mm. So if you see an enemy not doing something for a while and you can see that meter fill up and you're like, uh oh, <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, they're about I can see they're about to do something crazy. So I need to either prep myself or have everybody go back. 
you know, and and that was interesting. Yeah. You know, that was it, it. It's definitely it's not my favorite type of battle system, but it's not necessarily what I would say is a bad thing because, uh, you know, knowing people like you, Ben, knowing people that you know, uh, you know, eat battle systems for breakfast and and definitely want things are are curious to have systems that are very complex. Um, it is definitely the thinking man's RPG battle system, where like you do you you can't just mash through through fights. You do kind of have to. I mean, you can, but I guess it just takes a lot longer. Like you definitely have to play to strengths. Um, and it is funny. Uh, it, it's really fun how they play uh, with sprites because everything is 2D, but sprites like bounce a lot. They bend a lot. Uh, when you sometimes you'll hit an enemy so hard, they'll just flip like in the background. Like <laughs> yeah. you'll hit a squirrel with such a strong attack. Just it'll just go like flying off into the trees. I love like, oh! it. I love yeah, it. Like, like a field goal. Um, and so it, uh, yeah, I think I'm, I think I, I, it's, it's tricky because another thing that might have turned me off again, not not an attack on the game, but just something that's not necessarily my style. Uh, watching Blood play through all of Earthbound, uh, I really enjoyed having him do it because I tend to kind of stumble through games like that that have a comedic approach to quest completion where it's like it's not really necessarily going to make sense what you're doing you like you wouldn't necessarily think ah oh, yes that's the, automatically the item that I would go to get you know it's like that's kind of the point kind of in like a leisure suit Larry escape from monkey island you know where it's like you didn't know the violin was the thing that was going to open the prison door but like it does kind of have that backwards you know um uh, you know, puzzle solving, you know, step by step process. Uh, and there is a lot of that absurdity to this game where you're using items in ways that you didn't necessarily think you would, uh, much like Earthbound. So um, I appreciate that. But uh, I, for the time that I have to invest in a big game like that, which is why I think I might gravitate towards something like Xenoblade than, uh, uh, than this game. It, oh, man, it's so funny because I would say, I would say with RPGs, I've gotten more methodical as I've gotten old, older with my playstyle. But it's, it was a, it was real eye opening playing Trials of Mana with Blood, where it's like, no, he's got this stuff like written down. Yeah. He was doing research the night before. Like he was definitely like way more methodical than. I was approaching it, and I think he he does that for a lot of games. Like he just is very much like we're gonna do everything, and then we're gonna move on. And I mm-hmm. I love seeing all of the different playstyles of the allies. Kind of, I don't know, show itself in different ways. But uh, I've never full played through something with blood. Yeah, that would be fascinating to see. You should do. You it. You know, they it's made something. they made a joke, Brandon, on one of my streams where they're like, "Oh, if you and Brandon did like." Brandon plays Pokemon, you just grind forever. Like, it'd just be endless grinding. I think that's, like, even more true with Blood. It'd be really interesting to see you guys do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because playing, you know, Pokemon with Kyle, Kyle's the opposite. Right, Kyle's like, right. I don't know. What are we doing, Jones? I'm like, I don't remember, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was doing other things this week. Yeah. Like, I wasn't prepping for this stream. Like, you're the expert. <laughs> um. But uh, but I really enjoyed it, and I think I think Boot Hill Bounties. Uh, it's a kind of I, I would definitely look at a screenshot if you're curious about this. If you're a Western fan, I would look at you know just how the world is presented, you know how the battle system's presented, because um, it does. It, it also carries over some of the Earthbound vibes just in the menus, just kind of like really fun fonts and, and just really silly, you know, not necessarily silly, but just very whimsical, you know, whimsical HUD, whimsical menus, like everything fits the Western theme, um, and I think it's the kind of thing that you can just glance at and know like oh that's definitely for me or like oh it looks a little odd like that might not be your style um but it uh had a great pace for the first couple hours and and i love something that gives me uh rpgs that give me a party to love almost right away you know and characters that definitely feel different and um 
and it's still it still kind of had serious vibes you know they're, they're they're definitely what you felt the desperation of this world like you you walk through a cemetery at one point it had a very elaborate opening credit sequence which i appreciate um and uh and the world's uh it was was not repetitive. It was not kind of like an early Final Fantasy game thing where they give you a town and then they're just like, all right, circle that town for an hour, you know, to like get enough experience to then beat the boss to move on to something else. Like they definitely wanted you to to see a lot of the world right away and let you know like what you were in between this town and that town. And you can't go up there yet, but that's what's up there. That's where she's from. And uh, they introduce characters in the story before you meet them. So um, it definitely is, is, is a fun backstory to it. Man. And it just came out of nowhere. Boothole Bounties is probably a game potentially everyone listening to this podcast has not heard of before. Um, so it's it's fun to bring a game like that to light. That's something that not just um, Final Fantasy games get right, but like old Squaresoft games that I that I wish I don't know because I I hate playing an RPG and being like, listen, it's rough at the beginning, but you've <laughs> got to once you get there, it's good. I hate saying that. And that's something, you know, looking at Final Fantasy, like, just some amazing intros. I love whenever an RPG uh, does that. You Just you say, talking about the, the nice intro that Boot Hill Bounty has. Brady, you've made me very interested in this game. I think, I think it's up my alley, man. Uh, Brad, you're bringing something to Frame Trap mm. that I am really excited to hear about. Just very curious, as somebody who's, like, super outside of this world now and that is the world of warcraft shadowlands alpha yeah that's right so i've been playing the shadowlands alpha nice uh, we all all of us here have a history of world of warcraft yes, yes. A very long <laughs> history especially with it i played i've been playing every expansion pretty much here and there kind of pretty disappointed with the current expansion where it's at right now just the systems and whatnot but shadowlands is doing some things that i like that are quite different uh, so just to set up, Shadowlands takes place in the afterlife in the Warcraft universe. So you got sh- there's like four areas, and each area is a different area you go to when you die. So like Uther from Warcraft Three is gonna be in the game Whoa. in a certain area. You'll see Uther, see a bunch of stuff like that. But there's one area that's kind of like what you think of like Greek or Roman afterlife with the wheat fields, kind of thing like that. <sighs> But there's one really cool one that I know both of you will like, and it's vampires. Mm. It's pretty much Castlevania. It's gothic vampires. There's literally, like, vampires there. And there's the raid, the first raid for the game is going to be the castle. Because an area that, Brad, it's so funny that you say that, because an area that I thought they did really, really well was, like, the Worgen starting area. I mm-hmm. loved the vibe yeah. of the Worgen. Um, and so I'd be really curious to see their take on yeah. vampires. Yeah, they're really cool. So this that zone specifically is somewhere you get sent if you're a bad boy. You go there and you have to like repent or like try to cleanse you of your sins and stuff like that. That's their whole thing. So I did like some of that zone. Their quest structure took some notes from Final Fantasy and in the sense of there's like side quests and there's like a main story quest. You know, you could clearly see like, hey, this is the quest you're going to do to kind of go down the story path, but if you want to just still keep doing side quests, there's a bunch of that stuff there. Pretty good stuff so far. Some of the class changes are pretty good. I mean, it's an alpha right now, so stuff will change. But one of the most interesting aspects of the expansion coming out is this thing called Torghast. So Torghast is pretty much a roguelike, roguelite, I don't know what the correct term for it is, a system you can do. 
it's pretty much you take whatever class you want any character you want you can go in with other people too up to five i think but anyways you go from floor to floor to floor to floor to floor with like random enemy placements and stuff like that you go through there there's upgrades you could get you can collect to like increase your power and something like that so it pretty much takes these roguelike elements you got from other games but they just kind of threw in a world of warcraft mm. so there's like floors you go to there's bosses then there's you get like legendary rewards for it later on i just did a little bit of it but from what i did it seemed pretty interesting mm. i don't know what the i don't know how many floors there will be but i know there's quite a, i know people have done quite a few of them but i thought it was an interesting an interesting concept you can kind of do by yourself if you want I feel like a lot mm. of MMOs are, especially WoW, is getting more content you can do by yourself, which is cool, I guess, but there's still the raid stuff. But it seemed like a nice little roguelike system to the game. It's so, It felt like something I could just do. I could do a run. You know, I could hop on for 20 minutes if I wanted and just do a run yeah. and see how I got. I don't have to spend three hours trying to find a group for this thing. So, yeah, I walked away with that. Pretty, pretty impressed with it. Hmm. So yeah, think Shadowlands is looking pretty good right now. I mean, things could definitely change. There's like not a lot of the zones aren't even in the game yet. I haven't gotten to mess with them. But from what the game is at Battle for Azeroth, I feel better about it than I did with that. It's been quite a while since I was playing WoW actively. Um, and so this <laughs> this might be like an outdated complaint, but I think the thing that I eventually got to with WoW that was frustrating is it does sort of, it just felt like I was babysitting a bunch of stuff where it's like, Mm -hmm. I gotta wait for this timer on this thing. And then like, yeah, there was just, there were just all these things where I felt like it was kind of a slog logging in and like the activities that I was doing, I felt like I was doing them purely out of a sense of obligation rather than like a sense of excitement. Um, And so I guess if this, this, this kind of roguelike thing that you're describing, if that's like, fun and has like a sense mm-hmm. of danger to it i think that would be a cool yeah there's definitely thing. a sense of danger from what i've seen uh they've made a few other changes too which i'm very happy with so the level cap in the game right now is 120 but in the expansion they're dropping the level cap back down to 60 so if you're hopping into this game it's not going to feel like it's such a daunting task there's also a new so when you make an, a new character now If it's your first time playing, you go to a new specific starting zone Hmm. that kind of it teaches you the ropes of the game, how the game works very well, actually. Like, hey, this is where your mount's going to be. This is what a quest thing is like. And it takes you through like a tiny storyline and ends kind of at like a mock dungeon. Like you'll queue up for it. We can do it with like uh, the computer. But it serves like a nice a nice training training wheels to get into the game because when people play this game for the first time, currently right now, like some of that content feels really old. Yeah. Like if you're playing the game, you're like, oh, I'm going to make a Blood Elf. And he plays a Blood Elf. Like you're playing content from like 2006 or something like that, where it's just like, yeah. dude, this feels old. <laughs> Amazing I at think the it's, time. Yeah, at the time. But it's like, man, it's been a long time. So I think that was a smart idea to kind of clean up the leveling. Um, Brad, so it's – I'm just kind of contrasting this with my – because I've been – I've kind of paused it due to Xenoblade, but uh, before Xenoblade, I was really getting into uh, Final Fantasy XIV again, which was really mm-hmm. nice. And I think a huge driving force was I was actually getting pretty invested in the story of Stormblood. And I was like, this is well presented. I care about it. I want to see where this goes. Um, you know, I think the voice acting is good. Mm-hmm. And with WoW, like, I feel like it's been a really long time since I've cared about the story of WoW. Like, it's sure, just yeah. gotten so crazy yeah. that I'm just like, ah, whatever, man. 
mm-hmm. is Shadowlands showing you anything where it's like, oh, I like this is this is cool, or I want to see how this resolves? I mean, yeah, I definitely like. I was curious about storylines when I was in the zones specifically. Hmm. I didn't finish any of them. And like a lot of stuff still missing, like voice acting's missing from a lot of sure. stuff. Like a lot of the cutscenes, there's a big red X that says cutscene not final kind of stuff. So a lot of like the things that'll help it are missing, but I was definitely interested to see like what was going on. Like that vampire zone, there's like a, a rebellion going on hmm. and you got two kind of like factions fighting over stuff. So you go with one side and you investigate the other side. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm kind of in what's going on with this story. Whenever I dip back into WoW, something that I'm always, like, super impressed by is, like, how the zones look. Just just artistically, yeah. I think they do such a good job. Oh, yeah. I mean, Blizzard's art team is always yeah. real good. And, and you feel like that is carrying forward oh, in yeah. Shadowlands? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. And that, and that makes me really excited to check out that, like, vampire area then. Brandon. Yeah. Do you, do you feel any longing for wow or are you like i had my time i'm good uh i i have a longing for that time <laughs> sure <laughs> i have a longing for those days like i definitely i it's i i never had any animosity for wow because i got a clean out you know it was it was like during cataclysm that like right before that next expansion happened i was like okay i'm done and it was really for me wow is was less about the game and more about the people yeah. that i played with you know and um whereas the way the Final Fantasy fourteen was structured, it was the similar friend group that I was playing with. But uh, like you're saying with the story, like there w- there was a lot more going on in that world, and even just my love for Final Fantasy, like the the desire to have more of an understanding about this one entry. It'd be a bummer to be in you know like at Final Fantasy twenty four or whatever, and like look back to fourteen and be like, yeah, that was a blind spot. I never really got into those expansions. Even some of the stuff that ha- la- happened later with eleven, when I after I'd stopped playing eleven, it was a bummer that like I never really got into those high level raids. Uh it's interesting Brad because the uh the pick a class go through this kind of tower mm-hmm. setup. There was this there was a thing we played with Damiani in 14, right? So yeah, there was that's the, same the kind deep of thing. dungeon. Yeah. It's kind of similar. Things and that was work different. Yeah, it's kind of like that but it works a little more a little different. And that's really smart. I think that's like, you know, because I, back in the day when I was playing, you know, 14 a lot and was playing World of Warcraft a lot, I was like, MMOs are the best. It's the best genre in all of video gaming. I can't wait to see the future of MMOs. And the future of MMOs was MOBAs. And then the future of MMOs was Battle Royale. And it, it, like, it just moved away to other things in terms of like these big, you know, like million, multi-million player, you know, enterprises that people are going to try to set up. And I think having things like that that are less focused on dailies that are less focused on huge story investment and i wonder even potentially could could be like free to play that like if you have people that are so dedicated to the game and then you have this one mode that it's like you can bring your friends into this and then they can just pick whatever class whatever level mm-hmm. it doesn't matter they're still helping with you you can play with you but if then they're like oh that raid looks like fun you're like well no if you want to do that <laughs> then yeah. you then you got to get do the cutscenes you got to get into the story um so that that attracts me. That's really neat. Just that kind of you know something I can jump in and, and especially trying out other classes is really fun. Whether I'm interested in investing in them more in the future or whether it's just like oh, I kind of always wanted to play a priest. You know, just yeah. To, well, just it's to try it's it. not like you hop in there and you could pick any character. Like it's your character you've been using. Mm-hmm. So you have like you right. maybe you'll be like, oh man, I want a level character just for this though. Yeah. But yeah. I, th- I think uh, some of those things can open doors into other parts of the game yeah, that you would sure. just be averse to that you might be like, oh, well, 
and try it out. I, I'm not uh, like a brand new player to WoW, right? I've, I've put a, a ton of time into WoW. But something that I always appreciate is, is, is like, usually as a returning player, it's always pretty easy to get back into the swing of things. Yeah, well, um, it's pretty easy to get back mm-hmm. in. Like, I, I feel like they, they kind of structure expansions in a way where there's, like, a really good opening, like, funnel system that kind of gets you your feet wet. And mm-hmm. I, it's something I think they always do a pretty good job of. Um, I'd be curious to, like, and that's a good show idea, to, like, get somebody who's never played an MMO before and it's like, we're going to pay to boost you to the max and throw you in and let's see what happens. I don't know. <laughs> be fun. I it it, uh, it would take a lot a lot for me to play World of Warcraft again, but uh Hubris tried many many times, but but yeah, <laughs> I say about 350. But uh I one thing that w- MMOs do that Final Fantasy XIV and World of Warcraft did for me that uh, just no game does is just a, a feeling that uh, – a satisfaction that I get. And it's pure Huber, like, towns, campfires kind of jolly vibe. Mm-hmm. Just logging in to an MMO and just going into the world – at first, just that just first breath of like, oh, I'm here. I made it. You know, I'm in the Matrix. Yeah. I, I've just kind of I've, I've really stepped into this this world that's living and breathing and seeing other players run around and, and going to hubs and and seeing people traveling to go do different things. Um, there's just no other gaming experiences I have right now, even like really feeling immersed in, you know, a, a Red Dead 2 when I play online or Mafia 2 when I'm running through this campaign. It's just a different vibe in like a living, breathing you know, uh, a player base that's 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 going about and doing their stuff. I miss that. That's what World of Warcraft did so well, man. Like, think mm-hmm. about, think about. I mean, you're an Alliance player, Brandon, so it would be like, or the, was rather, you know, I'm, well, I'm always down to change stuff out. I but like, <laughs> just playing playing on the Horde side, and you had a similar experience on the Alliance side going into Stormwind. But uh, I just remember like having like your small little starting zone, and then working up and getting into Ogremar, and how like truly epic Ogremar felt and just like seeing like people that were way beyond you and just all the activity that was happening like that was magical um mm-hmm. yeah more yeah, stuff like that fun yeah it but i don't know i always feel weird saying that stuff because it's like well i was playing world of warcraft in high school and it was like a pop culture phenomenon like it's just nostalgia I don't know. I second guess. I think it's cool going to any MMO and seeing people who are like way higher level than you. You're like, whoa, look at all this stuff. Yeah, you're right about that for sure. I remember one big thing for me, uh, Ben, in Final Fantasy XI was Juno was like the big central city. Mm -hmm. And then everybody started the three, you know, there were three other starting towns. And I started in, we called it Base Stoke, but I guess it's Bastock. Bastock, yeah. I was like, ah, but uh, when I learned that. But uh, I started there, and when we finally got, I think at like level 20 or something, I finally got a Chocobo. And so it was a thing where it's like, okay, now you have to go to Juno to continue the rest of the story. And that trip to Juno was brutal. Probably took, yeah, it was dangerous. And that's (laughs) that's something I think MMOs have lost a little bit of like, usually a lot of that danger is off the beaten path. Whereas like in 11, Mm -hmm. like you could, something can AOE you off of your mount and you're toast. I was, like you yeah. might de-level like it, it's really scary yeah. i just remember that journey to juno was like an event like yeah. i like got home from work being like here we go you know and like all i'm doing is riding around on a chocobo but like it really uh it really felt like i was traveling somewhere very far away um and uh and i missed that and you know, are it, afraid it, it of takes a lot now. it's it's annoying yeah. I play so many open world games, it takes a lot for an open world game to feel big. Especially if you play something like Spider-Man, where you can just zip to the other end of the, the city in yeah. two seconds. Uh, it's nice to, uh, 
yeah, to have something feel that expansive and, and dangerous. Um, at the top of the show, we talked about like, you know, quarantine opening up space to just randomly do things. Uh, I randomly played through Silent Four. <laughs> cool. Oh, yeah. I always wanted to finish it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I uh, had played it before and I hadn't finished it and so it was like yeah. a good excuse to just go through and finish it um, because I always loved the premise and like the yeah. first person perspective and the vibes of 4 like there was so much that I loved about 4 but I just didn't finish it and what a fascinating game that I really like a lot and also annoyed the shit out of me like, mm. like I can't it's one of those games where I think I, I like the good stuff so much that I wish I could just kind of hand wave the bad stuff. But it's simply a game that feels like it's fighting itself um, a lot. I actually do think the story is great. I think the guy that you play as, Henry, is awful and about as interesting as a piece of cardboard. <laughs> like, he's really he really brings nothing to the table um, and, like, doesn't seem to have the investment that, like, a Heather or James does in the story. Uh, which is really annoying. But um, outside of that, Silent Hill 4 is about a serial killer. And something that it does really, really well is it uses the environment and, like, the notes that you're getting to understand the psyche of the serial killer. And, like, the enemies play into it and the other characters that you interact with um, play into it. And so by the time that you actually unravel this thing, like, you feel like you have a really good understanding of where this person is coming from and like yeah he's still a crazy psychopath but you're like i get it i get why this happened to you and i love that i love when games can kind of use all the tools that they have to really flesh out somebody i think that's something that silent hill 4 does really really well and dude holy shit i want a new silent hill so bad because the audio design and the environment design is impeccable and still like i was playing this on a ps2 still just, like, unnervingly gross. Um, the way that they use sounds and just have, like, random things pop up or, like, the hauntings in your apartment uh, or just, like, the disgusting sounds the enemies would make. Like, it doesn't do a lot of, like, boo gotcha. You know, that's not what Silent Hill is known for. But you just kind of feel bad <laughs> as you're going through uh, these really decrepit places, and it's awesome. Uh, just a very, like, unsettling is really the word for it. Um. Yeah, uh, Brandon, you mentioned you played Silent Hill Four. Yeah. Before I get into like the stuff that I think is fighting itself, um, <laughs> what was kind of your big takeaway from it? And what is your history of Silent Hill? I guess I don't know that. Uh, I have never finished a Silent Hill game. I've loved them all from afar. I never really got into three for some reason, but Three's I played really one with friends. One was like a huge, huge deal at the time. Yeah. And I think it was the kind of game I kept like starting over again and, and would just kind of explore. But like, um, uh, it was so fascinating that jump to 3d with PS one and 64 that like, I think that was the, one of those, uh, generations where I just like, tried everything. I was just like experimenting with so many different genres. Uh, and then two, uh, I infamously, it really frustrates Ian that like, yeah. I just 
it i was like oh this is so great they mark all the doors that i check that like no no that door you can't open that yet or you need the key for this and i still just like completely got stuck in two i was just like i don't know what to do i thought i've tried everything i just don't know like how to how to move forward and it just felt like the kind of game you kind of slowly want to peel the paint off of and not something where it's like i want to check a guide now Mm. that that would just kill it for me and so um i i ended up not finishing that um whereas like i finished every single resident evil game anything more action focused Mm, um uh i uh, didn't have the same issues with my memories of four though was uh uh, a lot of Hitchcock vibes. I remember like looking out that window at the street and like looking across the street, like in other windows and you'd see somebody like in an, another apartment staring at you. And like just a lot of that stuff, that's the stuff that really gets me in um, uh, horror cinema as well. You know, like I, I, I tend not to really get, you know, uh, swept away by big monster designs. And I hate it when like music like tells me to be scared. It's like, mm. all right, you know, I, I just hate like kind of being shoved in a direction. Like, I love it when um, I think there's a tremendous payoff in games and in horror cinema when something can can take a risk at being dull or boring and just kind of slowly erode at your psyche. And then you get to a point where like, wow, I'm being affected by this. Nothing's really happening. And uh, I, I for the room kind of did that. It just kind of felt like uh, I was playing a Hitchcock movie where uh, I would go back into the apartment after leaving and then something would be slightly different yeah. or there would oh, yeah. something just be, would be a little off and you couldn't really specifically see what that was. Uh, and so I really liked, I think it was the same dumb Silent Hill thing where I just got stuck. I just like got, there's some puzzle I couldn't figure out and I wasn't playing with anybody else and just kind of moved on to something else. Man, um, the way Silent Hill 4 plays with space is pretty fascinating because you you start the game and you figure out that you're in this like horrible situation where you cannot leave your apartment, you can't get out, you're, you're stuck and no one can help you. Or you're, you're just completely isolated in this room. And that sucks. That's terrifying. But then you you go into this hole in your bathroom and you're like, there are places that I'm going to that are way worse than this apartment, yeah. <laughs> than this room. Like being stuck in my room kind of feels okay. And they kind of like have mechanics that condition you to feel that way. So the, the, the room is where you go to save. And at the in the first half of the game, that's where you're recovering health. And so it be, kind of becomes like this small little sanctuary. And then they flip that on its head halfway through the game you go there and you have things that like if you don't these hauntings like if you don't clear them and you just kind of stay in them they'll kill you and you don't recover health anymore and so i i love that it takes this place of safety and and flips it on its head and turns it against you um but i feel like silent hill 4 has so many good ideas but it maybe just does too many of them like so you have that mechanic with the room and the hauntings. Cool idea. But then you have these unkillable enemies, these ghosts. You you cannot kill them. You can find these swords that will pin them down, but there aren't that many of them. And they're just really annoying. And they'll chase mm-hmm. after you. Uh, but then the entire second half of the game is an escort quest where you have to... Oh, no. <laughs> the entire second she half. She can't die, but she like uh. takes psychological damage... And you'll get a bad ending if she takes too much damage. And you have, like, Mm. no control over whatsoever. And she's slow. And you'll run into the situation where you're like, oh, I went through the door and she didn't follow me. So now I got to, like, go through the door and get her again. Again, I think the idea is, like, kind of interesting. Where 
you're going through, you actually end up going through uh, a bunch of areas twice. And it's like, okay, I'm taking this person with me. I, I have to protect them. I have to look out for them. Like, I kind of like that idea, right? Because Silent Hill is always very much about going through these places alone and, and, and like, not understanding what's happening uh, outside of rare interactions with characters. Like, there's a lot of isolation in Silent Hill. And so bringing somebody else along is good, but it's, like, it's just too much to deal with where it's like, I got to deal with Eileen and she's a pain in the ass and I have to deal with these unkillable ghosts and I'm going through the, all these areas again in the second time. It's just like, it's just too much. I think, I think you could pull like one of those things out uh, just mechanically, like narratively the ghosts serve like a super strong narrative purpose. There's, there's a reason why they're there and why they're, they're messing with you. But I think just mechanically and gameplay wise, the 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 annoyance starts to outweigh the the fun and i always hate that in horror games where you're like i want to be scared but right now i'm too annoyed to really like immerse myself uh in the horror but i don't know man even when it's bad it's good like it's 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 a game that really goes for it um and like i i can criticize it all day long but i still like i walked away being like that was that was awesome um it's a game I'm glad I didn't have to review. I think that review, <laughs> speaking of a game like really fighting itself, I think yeah. that review would really fight itself a lot, for sure. That's, that's what's so tricky about horror is like you're essentially pissing off the player intentionally. Sure. You know, like you're, you're trying to put them, you're, you're constantly taking power away from them. You're, you're, you're constantly pushing, putting them up against, you know, things that they could potentially seem unbeatable. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it's a risk reward. I can't imagine balancing something like a Resident Evil game and being like, how much ammo should I give them? Mm-hmm. You know, like just maybe even just running a bunch of people through it and then asking them, okay, when did you run out? And, um, uh, so yeah, that's, I have a lot of respect for people that can kind of find that. That's where I ran, that's the issue I ran into in Alien Isolation that like Huber always just fumes whenever I like bring it up where I just like, I've, I'm like, I just feel like a, like a, a maintenance worker. And he's like, well, you are. And I'm like, I know. And I feel like one. <laughs> it's like, it just, it just felt so, I was doing a job, right. you know, and not necessarily because that, that, you know, th- you know, making that work for a multi-hour experience uh, is very difficult. Um, so I'm glad you brought up inventory management, though, because it's another thing you have to deal with in Silent Hill 4 The Room. It, I, I don't know why I'm saying the full title. Silent Hill 4. Uh, <laughs> um, in Silent Hill 4, you... Available on PlayStation Yeah, play available on PlayStation. <laughs> review copy provided by PlayStation. Um, in Silent Hill 4, you have to deal with inventory management, and that, that wasn't really a concern in past Silent Hill games. You just kind of picked up stuff, if I'm remembering correctly. But in Silent Hill 4, you definitely have to really worry about inventory. Um, and... To you have an item box, but you have to go back to your room to go to the item box. And so there are only specific points within any given level where you can go back to the room. And again, cool idea. I like the stress of figuring out what to pick up. But again, it's just like, okay, I got to deal with this limited inventory and this AI character and these unkillable enemies. And it's just like, there's so much... Um, and I think that's something about Resident Evil. Like, I really love inventory management in Resident Evil. I love it so much. Um, and I think when it's done well and you have to decide, like, should I bring this herb with me or not? Or do I really need this ammo? I think that's what makes survival horror interesting. And it's a bummer to me that a lot of the genre has kind of moved away from that um, and kind of lessened that burden. Because I think when it's done well, it is super satisfying to make those decisions. Um, but yeah. 
I don't know. Because, Brandon, you like you like Resident Evil, and you mentioned like more of an action focus, but you know yeah. some of your favorite ones are Resident Evil 4, right, where you're doing the Tetris management, and uh, Resident <laughs> Evil Remake, where you know you have yeah. very intense inventory space, especially if you're playing as Chris. So, like, you have to like that on some level. Well, you uh, RE Zeros, like what what a lot of fans consider to be the worst of that, and I don't feel that as much. Not because it's not a problem, but because at the time I got what they were trying to do. Oh, I you get know, what like, they're I trying was, to like, do. I was yeah. like, okay, yeah. you know, you 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 you're <laughs> you're making new Resident Evil games. You want to change them up, yeah. you know, and obviously not every game can be as revolutionary as, as of a change as four. Um, but I, you know, because even like in you know in my teens playing like the first couple Resident Evils, I was like, oh, there's a new item box. Well, I'll move stuff, and then I open them up, and I'm like, oh, it's the same objects. Oh, well, that doesn't make sense, but I appreciate it <laughs> that like that first aid spray would have traveled magically, you know, miles to you know my next location where I'm at right now. So from a, a realistic standpoint, I, I appreciate that you know that's what they were going for, but um, yeah, again, it, it's just all about that constraint. It's all yeah. about um, which is yeah, where, where I struggle sometimes with games because something like a Resident Evil, uh, something like a, a Red Dead Two, where a lot of people were frustrated with the controls and just kind of like I got to go through all these steps to get this item. Um, I kind of or just like I clean my gun and all that stuff. Like here I am on the other side of it. Like this is great, you know, because it grounds me more yeah. with the objects and I appreciate it more. I have more of a connection with these things, and so uh, I just don't think you're going to please everybody with that stuff. And so it's interesting, Ben, with the, the horror genre where it has kind of splintered off into either kind of like first person you know thrillers right. and you know kind of like kind of low budge uh independent like side scrolly kind of puzzly stuff you know where this you know inventory management third person slight action silent hill style is kind of is not as prevalent you know not a lot of people are, are attempting that yeah i think man um just just if anything, the the number one thing that I miss from Silent Hill and why I wanted to come back is it is it just feels so thoughtful. Like, yeah, you can definitely like rail against the voice acting and how cheesy some of that stuff is, but if you look at the underlying story and the things that they're trying to explore, um you really walk away with something. Like, oh, this game had something to say. Like it wasn't just like boo ha ha, gotcha, made you jump. That is that is not at all what's going for. And I, I think Horror just allows you to explore a space that most video games don't even try. And yeah. so, you know, you, you kind of only get that here, and that's that's what I miss from Silent Hill. But, Ben, Re- Resident Evil Zero, because you brought it up. I also played through that recently. And, like, the reason it's bad is because, like, the inventory management in Resident Evil inherently is, like, okay, I, I have to worry about the space and I might have to make a trip to the item box to go get this stuff. Resident Evil Zero doesn't really streamline anything. Like, not only do you have to deal with kind of like the normal Resident Evil inventory management, it just makes it more cumbersome where it's like, mm-hmm. you're going to have to pick up all of these puzzle pieces that you're like, you, you, you need to solve this puzzle and you need like all of these things or it's like, oh, only Rebecca can do this. So you have to like spend time not only going and getting the things that you need, but also constantly switching stuff back and forth. And it's like, you're not really showing me the joys of having to manage inventory between two people. I'm just spending more time in the menus. Like, 
the reason why you have limited inventory is not so you're constantly fiddling around. It's so you feel the tension. So you're like, mm-hmm. you, you maybe regret a decision. And Resident Evil Zero, it's like, I don't regret things more. I just am literally staring at the menu more often. You just made me do twice as much work for, like, no payoff. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know what you're doing, it'll be frustrating and repetitive. If you do know what you're doing, it'll just seem like busy work. Yes. There's no sweet spot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no, there's no middle point where you're like, oh, I did bring the right items. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not, it's never rewarding in the way. Yeah. It's, I think it's different for different sake. I think somebody brought that up at a meeting and everyone was like, oh, <laughs> what if it was one item box? Yeah. yeah. And then they just never really made that fun, <laughs> made it worth it. Well, there are no item and, and boxes. You just leave stuff on the ground. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's right. Um, it's been so long. I remember the story being interesting. I remember when we did the uh, yeah. big timeline episode of the retro. I remember it was the, the characters they introduced and some of the holes they filled in. Um, just in a great way, like the old Spencer Mansion backstory, just yeah. this like really tragic, you know, uh, anything to make Umbrella more evil or to make these people mm-hmm. you just to see kind of like not only these horrible things that are happening in the world, but like all the stuff that could have been prevented leading up to them. Yeah. Um, but uh I think there was stuff that I liked with the story and then other things that I was like, ah, whatever. But I, I don't know. I think I, I think I'm just a sucker man for third person survival horror. I I think I am like, I want more of it. Um, Brad, I know you're a big Resident Evil fan and like you really, uh, got sucked into like two and three remake. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you were playing RE1 remake and all that stuff. And like, you've been going really hard on Resident Evil. Do you have any like, strong fondness for silent hill so the only silent hill i beat was two Hmm. but i remember being very good Uh, i've played some of one but i never played three or four and Hmm. like i fell off after that but yeah i do remember liking two quite a bit that's why i i I want it to come back i want it to be like this resurgence and like make old fans happy get new people on board and all this stuff like i always liked resident evil much more than silent hill Hmm. but i appreciated what silent hill was doing yeah, it it always when they were both at their prime, it felt like a good yin and yang. Yeah, and I miss that. I miss that balance yeah. for sure. Because like, if you just look at them and you're not familiar with sound horror or survival horror, you'd be like, oh yeah, they're probably just like the same type of game, but they're like pretty damn different. Right. Yep. Please, please come back. I know there are rumors floating out there of things happening with Silent Hill and. Those Resident Evil rumors sound really good, but sounds good right now. It's attack, eh? Man, I came up with a bunch of ideas for Hotake. There was never, there wasn't like one that was really calling out to me. So hopefully, this will uh, generate some good conversation. But the Hotake today, so Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, and the reason why I'm saying the whole thing there is the Definitive Edition, we've got that, we've got Mafia Definitive Edition, we've got all these Definitive Editions and re-releases, they're constant, and I know we've kind of touched on this before uh, in Frame Trap, but Xenoblade brought it into my mind once again, where I'm like, why why buy anything at launch? Like, (laughs) Xenoblade's kind of a weird case, right, where it, it came out so long ago that and it does so much, but what I mean is between early access, definitive editions, game of the year editions, season passes, things going on Game Pass, or the you know PlayStation Plus, like why buy anything at launch? Are we being strongly disincentivized from buying things at launch when we could just wait 
and have a fuller experience. I mean, to me, it just depends how bad you want to play it. Sure. Kind of thing. But it's like, I don't want to wait. I just want to play it. Right. But is there any like seed of doubt in your mind where it's like, oh, I really want to play it. Well, maybe I'll wait for it to be like the best version it could be Uh, some games maybe like i don't really play early access games Mm. because i usually like to wait till it's out sure but like i don't know like a lot of the games if there's a game like that right if i would wait for the game of the year edition i wouldn't buy that game at launch because i wasn't super excited excited enough about it uh one interesting experience that I'm, i'm having right now ben is uh I have no regrets over playing Control when it came out. That was my game of the year last year. Like, yeah. I absolutely loved that. And then now there's this story DLC that just came out. And I'm like, I, I'm okay. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, this is my goatee. You know, yeah. like, I mm-hmm. loved this game. And, like, I don't, I just, it's not enough to pull me back. Maybe that's just kind of how the story ended. Or I don't necessarily need to have those questions answered. But it's definitely the kind of thing that if I'd waited until now, I'd, I'd probably be much more. Uh, interested in doing all of it. You know, I would move right from finishing the campaign into that extra content, whereas going back after the fact, um, that's like when I I think people really won if they'd waited to play Horizon Zero Dawn because they only had one big DLC thing and it just kind of neatly just plops right into to like the 60-yard the line of the, the story. And so you you might not even notice that it's extra stuff. It's just a bigger game right. if, you go, if you go at it later. Um, and I mean, there's so much to play. I don't know if that's necessarily like a bad problem to have, like thinking, being like, oh, I'll delay that. Mm-hmm. But uh, another thing as well is I remember this last gen when it started, I started Black Flag on 360 and then stopped and started a brand new campaign on Xbox One and was like, OK, yeah, this is clearly the way mm-hmm. I should be playing this. So I wonder if like I'm going to have the same situation with Valhalla or anything that like will release on current gen consoles like two months before we know we're getting PS5 and Xbox Series X. And it's like, I'll wait, you know, because why not play that on a more powerful yeah. system? Yeah. Uh, ben, to bring up your for like an example of some reason, maybe that I think waiting or like buying something right away is not a bad idea sometimes is I think about if I played the Witcher three after all the DLC was out and everything, it's like, man, I don't know if I could play that much all at one time. Mm. Cause that's so much stuff. Totally. Where I might get burnt out. Like I wouldn't want to play Assassin's Creed Odyssey (laughs) and the DLCs all back to back. Sure. Like that'd be too much for me. Yeah. But if it comes out later, it can feel nice could be like oh yeah man just come back for a quick little bit doesn't feel like a huge burden like you've had a break from the game you know right so when you come back it feels a little more fresh i think part of the reason why i bring up the the question is i think there's a hunger in the audience right now for things to get re-released to get ported to get remakes and i totally understand that but i feel like like the last two generations this has kind of been going on and like going into the next generation where it's like, I don't know. I, I think I would like to see the consumer valued a little bit more. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I think these things come out and it's like, yeah, you added new stuff, but like, this is too much money. Like, or, Oh, for know, sure. Fi- sure. Find, I, I guess find creative w- ways of rewarding your audience where it's like, yeah. Um, and they, people do that. It's, it's not like it's not existent. They're, a lot of developers for both single player, you know, and games as a service games and like multiplayer games do find ways 
to reward long longtime players. But I guess I don't know. I I would like to see that more often. I think there's just like this weirdness that I have going into the next generation where it's like, how many more re-releases am I going to see? Like, am I going to regret? buying this PS4 game now when mm-hmm. I could have just waited and played it on PS5? I, I don't know. I it, It's not a concrete example. I think it's just a general feeling. I feel like you can get that, though, with almost everything, man. Sure. Where it's just kind of like, man, I wish I just... I wish I didn't see this movie in the movie theater and I just waited for it at home sure. and I could get it for way cheaper or something like that. Right. It's always going to be like a decision you're going to have to make to get something earlier. Right. Um... You, you mentioned, like, the uh, Witcher 3 being, like, so much, and you're not sure that you want it, would want to play all of that at once. And I think, like, Xenoblade is really interesting because that game is massive, and it's like, I'm going through it again. And it's like, would I have, would I have enjoyed this even more if I had just waited for this definitive mm-hmm. edition? But at the same time, you know, to play Devil's Advocate... I love these re-releases as an excuse to play games again because I like yeah. I probably wouldn't have played Xenoblade again were it not mm-hmm. for this. Uh, I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have played Persona Five again were it were it not for this. And so I think on that side there is a huge benefit to it, and it's nice like having those things be part of the conversation again because games move so fast that I think I do think these re-releases. Um, kind of bring things up in a cool way. Like, yeah. you know, probably wouldn't be talking about Wonderful 101 had this re-release. Not that we're talking about it on the show, but I'm just saying, yeah. like, right. in general, uh, you know, in, in in the culture. Yeah, I mean, it's just great that you can play a lot of these games now just on a current hardware or something like that. Like, I've been playing Wind Waker HD on stream, and it's like, I love that game, but man... I really don't like the Wii U hardware. I wish it was just on Switch or something like that. And it gives the game a nice second chance, I feel like, for a lot of people who didn't have the systems before. Like, a ton of people didn't have Wii U, so that's why there's so many of those games on Switch now. Well, it's like Yakuza is a best-case scenario that you could possibly imagine for a series that big for as many games from that series to come back in the ways that they have. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting to see the investment made in the earlier games now making it easier for the the newer games that are coming out. You know, like, I, I wonder at what point in all of the, you know, the Kiwami and, and, and a lot of this stuff being uh, brought to the U.S. that wasn't available before a judgment happened, you know, where they decided, like, this is now become big enough that we can, you know, not only, you know, make another side story in this world, but also sell that almost immediately to an American audience. And we know they'll be interested in it and it'll do well. Um, yeah, it's just kind of like a, it's a, it's a level of treatment that I imagine a lot of people would love to have applied to, you know, their franchise of choice that has just kind of fallen off. I do think it has kind of created this weird situation where like, sometimes I'll think about playing a game that isn't available on you know, a current generation thing or PC or whatever. And I'm like, I bet it'll get remade. Like I should just wait. And I I do feel like it has kind of created this interesting um, sense of doubt, but I also feel bad. Like as somebody who's recommending games, right. And hyping games up on frame trap or streams or whatever. Sometimes I'm like, ah, maybe I should just tell people to wait. Like what, like this could be way better in a year or you could get it for free in a year. Like civilization six is free right now. Uh, on the Epic Games Store, and it's like, well, if you're not already invested in the series, this is yeah. a super easy way for yeah. you to get in. So, 
Just something to and, and I think there's some Assassin's Creed is just a great example. There's some franchises like that that like you just know there's going to be so much bloat at the end, and it could be really good and really interesting. And um, but it's just like you, uh, it's probably not a bad thing to wait when Spider-Man Two comes out on PS5. Like it might be okay to wait because if they handle DLC the same way they did on the PS4, it's just three chapters. They have a very specific story arc. You know, it kind of picks up the the difficulty level of where the game left off and pushes it a little bit further. And if you were to, for those that did wait and then picked up Spider-Man uh, on PS4 after all that D- DLC was out, I think that's a, a wonderful amount of time to spend with a game. Right. And then you re- you're done. <laughs> like when that story's finished, you don't get a sense of like where'd that character go or that one thing. You know, whereas Witcher might be a little too much odyssey might be a little too much to kind of stomach to put all the games aside and just you know dive into that right um but i think uh yeah some other single player focused games are just kind of notorious even if it's not in a franchise a company like ubisoft you kind of know you can kind of expect what watchdogs legions how that's going to (laughs) go like the stuff they're going to add later it's like Mm -hmm. you're not missing out a lot but mass effect is is totally that for me like i will not touch mass effect on last gen consoles because like i know that remaster is going to be or likely you know likely enough that I'm just waiting for it. And, and that'll then, be, uh, you'll be going through that for the first time, right? Oh, yeah. Dude. I, I played Mass Effect 1 for like two hours. Oh, just... whoa. I didn't know you never played Mass Effect. Brandon, that is going to be like waiting. magical waiting. for you, man. Mm hmm. My expectations will be set for number three. <laughs> they will be the. Like, I never even played three, man. Got it. I know, what to, I, I, I know where we're going. I brought this up in the disaster report video, but um, that game really made me think like. It's such a bummer. Like, if you go back to the PS2 era, there were so many things that you could unlock and, like, just earn through playing the game. And so much of that stuff is gated behind, like, pre-order bonuses or collection edition bonuses or DLC. And I think that's kind of what I mean by, like, rewarding your audience and rewarding those people that are the most invested. And I, I want to see more of that. It's just, like, mm-hmm. sometimes it just feels like you can just, like buy your way to all the cool stuff and i think like outside of experience and leveling up i think i want to see people who are who really go the extra mile get insane rewards or just just that dedication it's just i don't know i think especially as i'm 100 for that yeah like like silent hill is great at that right like the goofy endings that you can chase after or the outfits that you can unlock Um, yeah like I loved in Resident Evil, the Resident Evil games, like you get the rocket launcher for beating the game on hard yeah. or something like that, or beating under a certain amount of time. Like rewarding people who putting in the time with something. Yeah, for sure. I think that's what makes. Uh, on one hand, I can see something like Mafia Two and all the issues you know that that Huber and other people are having, and I'm like, oh, you know, it's the first time I've ever played it, and it, it does look a little bit better, and it's on the console that is currently plugged into my TV. So there's a lot of convenience here, and like, I'm not too upset about it. But at the same time, if you're a huge fan, I can imagine that's really frustrating because you get the the feeling we're we're not going to get this chance again. This is it. This is the only mm-hmm. time this game is going to be remastered. Right. You know, this is not like Shadow of the Colossus where we're going to get like a remaster and then a remake. You know, like we have two different, you know, more pretty versions to play than the original PS2 version. And so sometimes it can kind of feel that's at, in a tangent. I will fully accept this is a huge tangent, but that's how I upset I get sometimes when uh, a musical will be made into a film because a lot of there are a lot of musicals that I love that it would be a, a, a big ask to like drag a friend of mine to Hollywood to go see 
see some weird production that I've never seen. It's like, I don't know if this is going to be good or not. When something gets like a big budget treatment and I go see Les Mis in the theater, I'm like, all right, here we go. And then I see it. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, <and> people <laughs> are like, cool. That's Les Mis. That's the thing you were talking about. It's like, it's not you. Oh man. Like you need to see this in its prime. Right. Like you need to see this where every role is sung really well. And, it, ah, and it's not abridged and they didn't cut that one song. Shit. You know, and it's a bummer because I know like they're not going to do Les Mis again. That's it. You know, that that's that crappy Johnny Depp, Sweeney Todd. That's it. That, that's your Sweeney Todd. You know, it's like enjoy it while you can. And it's like, uh, damn it. It's such a good show. And bring it's in. such a bummer that that's in people's impressions of it forever. You know, like, uh, I mean, you bring up such oh a good well. point that that is a whole nother element to this discussion is if it's more accessible, but worse than the original version is it still worth recommending to people? Where, yeah. like, you know, people are saying, like, the, the, this Mafia 2 is messed up, but you're having a great time. You're getting invested yeah. in the story and characters. And so, like, where, where do you draw the line for people on, like... I think that's the other thing that's so frustrating about video games is just because something gets a remake or a remaster doesn't mean it's, like definitive it doesn't mean like it's the only version that should exist like twin snakes is really really interesting but i would never want it to completely take away like playing the original mgs1 is a very different experience and i i love like what the ps3 and the psp did where and the wii virtual console for that matter and like they, they must not make them enough money but going through like the PSN store and seeing all of these PS1 games that you can just download to your system in their original form or on your PSP or the Wii Virtual Console, like that is so awesome and makes me happy to invest in a next generation. And right. I think that's just so much more satisfying and like comfort boosting than like a remake or a remaster and you have no idea how good the quality is going to be. Um, and so I just sometimes I wish both options were available. You know, it's like really satisfying. That's so simple. But playing an old gen game on a new console that's just like it just is not barely in a port. Like they just like brought it to this new mm-hmm. system. Uh, SSX three I played on the Xbox One. Nice. And there are no load times, <laughs> none. And, but like there's still the load screen. Yeah, it's just like, boop. and it's so it's so fun to just see it loading gone. That's awesome. Like, it's, it's so <laughs> it, to me, that's like like strangely as satisfying, if not more, than like updated textures yeah. or greater draw distance or something. Just having this, you know, it's kind of like what we're all kind of waiting to hear about this next gen or seeing it really proven that like a lot of these people are like, oh yeah, it's a thing of the past. Load times. It's like that does sound neat, but we will we really notice it when we're just so kind of immersed in all these. These new worlds where when you go back and play an old game and just see it run so much better in that way um there's another game too another open world game that i played that was just like oh <laughs> like it just i would i would fast travel somewhere and bam i'm there that was very satisfying are we ready for some emails mm. yeah are you ready for some emails you know actually before we move on to emails i want to get your take on something where I, I kind of run into this problem with frame trap where like, I only want to do a Hotake if I'm interested in it. And I think he, like the panel would be interested in it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we, this is the hundred and seventh episode of the show. And sometimes I'm like, well, 
being passionate about it means like the same sorts of conversations will come up sometimes. And then I think to myself, well, it's okay if it repeats, you know, as long as there, it's still an issue or there's still something to say. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Cause like, I want to keep things fresh, Yeah, but I, I, think it's I, don't, fine. Know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I totally think you bring up because you have different panelists and right. yeah. um, and and being the moderator of the podcast now, it's funny actually when a topic will come up and I'm like, eh, it doesn't really fit that podcast, and then somebody in chat or blood will be like, oh yeah, you Ben covered that in frame trap. I'm like, nice. oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, because I think again, this is the place for for these kind of long form discussions, and it can, things can kind of go off the rails a little bit. Right. I brought up musicals for Christ's sakes, but like your musical uh, point is very relevant. Um, it uh, yeah I, I think you can totally go back because uh, stories change too you know like right. we, we we might feel a different way about something you know a week or two later and I, I definitely think it's relevant mm-hmm. I've definitely stolen topics from you sorry no it's okay <laughs> on things uh, snagged that that is a it's a, it's a blessing and a curse because there are times because Frame Trap always records after the podcast and I'll mm-hmm. like ask Blood or somebody and I'm like did they talk about it in the podcast it'd be like yes I'll be like oh damn it okay gotta find something else but forces you to be try to be creative um our first email comes in from Mirko. let me do the top step real quick i have like a slightly different setup so it's worse i hate these awkward pauses (laughs) clickety clack we're gonna play a game oh i love this I Ooh. think our community is much more creative than we are when it comes to games. Yes. yes. Holy shit. Um, comes in from Mirko. He says, hello, allies. Now that we are all having a much slower lifestyle, I thought I'd give you guys some brain training to keep the juices flowing. Listed below uh-huh. are some anagrams of popular video games, and it is up to you to solve them. Uh, perhaps write them down to make it easier for yourself. So we have anagrams. I'm going to say something, and you have to tell me like what it is an anagram of. Um, so why don't I just do one of these as an example? So, like, I would say Halbrid Thief 2, and you can rearrange the letters of that to make it Breath of the Wild. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, there, he put quite a lot, uh, so I'm not going to do all of these, but we'll do a few. All right, first one. Lurk so sad. Yeah, this is way harder when you can't see. Yeah, feel free to write it letters. down. Feel free to write it down. We can we can slow roll. I'm gonna try to beautiful mind it. I'm gonna try to not write a okay. it. So Lurk sad. so sad. Uh, the hard thing is, is interesting. The hard thing is is like the spaces don't necessarily line up. So right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lurk D- so sad. Not dusk. Uh, the U is fascinating. There's not a lot of, not a lot of U's in game titles. Lurk. I might give you guys the... It's two okay. words. I'll tell you that. The, the game title is two words. Oh, uh, okay. Lurks so sad. That's not Hotel Desk. No. There's no H. Do you want me to give you the first word? Sure. Sure. <laughs> We're going to be here all day. Dark. Souls? Dark Souls. Oh, Dark Souls. Dark Souls. Ah. Lurks so sad. It does look so sad. Uh, Brad, come on. That was... This game. game's hard, man. It is, it's a very, it's a hard game. It's a hard game for sure. Goof Ward. Goof Ward. Uh, I was thinking Warframe, maybe, but no, there's no, there's no D. Something double O. No, doesn't that sound like Yeah, it doesn't o. have to be. It's not a double O. Goof 
Okay. There is an of. It's three words. The middle word is of. Oh, God of War. God, God of, of War, War. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Goof word. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do, this is fun. We might, we'll do one or two more. Uh, invert diesel. <laughs> Invert diesel. The V is fascinating. Resident Evil. Yes. Yeah, Jones. Jonesy. Jonesy. The, o- the only franchise with a V. <laughs> yeah, it's not many. <laughs> uh, no edgy eel. Eel. No e e l. E e l. Eel, uh, like the swimming eel. No edgy steel? eel. That red steel. Red steel. No. <laughs> no. No edgy eel. This one's stuff. It's only one word, actually. No edgy eel. Dishonored. No. No. There's a G in there. Yes. Yeah, the G is very important. G. G. <laughs> no. Uh, Three E's. Three E's and a G. The G is the first letter. Golden Eye. Golden Eye. <laughs> yes. No and G. Golden Eye. It's Golden Eye. Good job. That was a hard game. Creative oh game. Oh my right? god. Yeah. That was, yeah. That was intense. Uh, next email comes in from Morgan. Hello, Ben and Paddle from beautiful Colorado. A lot of companies are killing it with remakes and remasters these days. I would reference a title, but I don't really need to because we're basking in what seems like great classic video game revival. I believe that older titles suffered from graphical and hardware limitations, and newer versions allow a creator's vision to be fulfilled. But with graphical advances becoming smaller and smaller with each new console, will nostalgia be the only draw for future remakes and remasters? My question is, what will make today's games worthy of being remade or remastered in 20 years? Will it have to be a new way to play, like VR? Will it be hyper-realistic graphics technology? Could be all the above, man. I don't know. And I feel like developers' um, imaginations will grow with the technology. There will always be something people are striving for that they can't quite accomplish yet. Yeah, I wonder if this generation would manifest itself kind of similarly to Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2 Remastered. Where, but Modern Warfare 2 Remastered was just uh, single player. They still haven't done anything multiplayer with that, so, right? Yes. Whereas the first Modern Warfare did get a whole multiplayer suite and they brought those servers back. Yeah. So I think that would be interesting. You know, like if we ever do see an end to something like Fortnite or Apex Legends or, you know, any of these games that, uh, um, you know, only exist because they are played multiplayer, and then after they're gone, it's like, yeah, that somebody might set up their own server or something. I imagine Epic would crush that pretty quickly, but uh, it'd be interesting to see, you know, 10, 20 years from now, something like this resurface and just genres that are just played out. We just don't, we just don't experience those genres to have nostalgia, not necessarily for a character or a story or music or something, or or to see characters realized in a different way, Final Fantasy VII remake style. But just, you know, have like your kids or your younger friends of yours be like, whoa, they, you know, this genre is weird. And like, yeah, yeah, we used to play games like this a ton. And then it just, you know, like MMOs, you know. I think, I mean, I think Morgan is right that a lot of it is nostalgia, but I think a lot of it is also convenience. You know, when, when a lot of times when somebody upgrades to a new console, they get rid of the old one. 
And so it's like, yep. oh, well, mm-hmm. this re-released, I, I can, you know, I, I couldn't play it unless it came out on the thing that I have. And so I think that um, drives sales a lot. But the other thing that you're seeing with a lot of these re-releases, you know, Xenoblade and Persona are good examples, is they're actually like adding on to the story. Um, and oh. so that makes it interesting as well, where it's like, oh, well, you know, I was satisfied with the story and I probably wouldn't replay this again, but I want to see, you know, what that new thing is. So, I also like, uh, shout out to Blood, who did uh, a great Don't Skip on the Turbo Graphics yeah. mini. And it was interesting to follow him kind of like at like a hometown buffet, you know, where he's just like little mashed potatoes yep. some peas, some clam chowder, you know, and, and just trying things that he necessarily maybe wouldn't even try. And then you kind of, you know, you're not only getting a sense of what a system could do, but also like that era, you know, and, and it kind of reminds me of Rare Replay, right. where you're not only going and experiencing, you know, Banjo-Kazooie again and Perfect Dark again, but just kind of getting a sense of this company and just kind of like what their interests were. And, you know, if they made some offshoot weird game that you never played, once you go back and play all the other games they were making at the time and then finally play that game, it, it, it puts your your brain in a different place to kind of understand like, Oh yeah, this was kind of outside their wheelhouse. And you know, like I'm a huge rock star fan, but I've, I never enjoyed the manhunt series. Mm. And it'd be interesting to go back and not only, you know, try manhunt one and two, but like play GTA three <coughs> and vice city and these other games and the warriors and these other games, like at the same time, even just dabble in them to get a sense of like the things that they learned from, um, I feel like Assassin's Creed has evolved that way, where you see one game add a feature that then the next game, even though a totally different studio is making it, they're like, oh, thanks, yoink. And they're like, we'll take that and and do and put our own spin on it. Our last email comes in from Eric. Just got done watching the Ghost of Tsushima. <laughs> the way that he pronounced it will always trip me out now. Tsushima trailer, and I think it looks awesome. But I'm finding myself not getting too hyped, and I think the reason why is that Sony has already given us something like 10 or more games in this genre this generation. Seems like all their first-party output these days are single-player only third-person cinematic action-adventure. No one could eat ice cream every day, even if you change up the flavors and topping. Nathan Drake and Joel can use a gun, and Aloy can use a bow, and the Ghost of Tsushima could use a sword, but it's still eating ice cream again. They got so many, they can't even keep their games in the genre about zombies to one franchise. How about a platformer or a shooter or a strategy game or a dungeon crawler or a freaking multiplayer game? They used to make <laughs> SOCOM, Twisted Metal, Starhawk, and Mag, right? And it's not as if third parties aren't also making these games, so they're not even alone in the genre. My question is this. Well, I don't think people are going to get sick of this in the short term. In the long term, say four to five years, can you see this backfiring if they don't start to diversify? Are they immune to oversaturation? I think they're making a lot of games like this right now because they sell. People want a lot of games like this. And like the and like SOCOM today would not survive. Like a game like that cannot survive against other games like Counter-Strike or Valorant now. It's going to be harder to get like slices of that pie. I just like because they tried Twisted Metal and no one gave a shit about it. And they've tried stuff here and there. I think they're going to do more than just like the third player or third person uh, single player focus games like that but that's what the studios wanted to make right now but I'm sure there's going to be other stuff like uh, Dreams they own Media Molecule don't they yeah like what the hell is that game that game is ridiculously insane and that's a first party game so I think there's still room for experimentation there 
Yeah, I think there's a cinematic quality to all the examples that they gave where I, I just I, I think about this Xbox reveal that we got of Xbox gameplay and uh, some of those games were really exciting and, and just getting your head out of what the new console is going to deliver and us just super hungry for new IPs. Like, what are the what are the launch lineups going to be for these new consoles? Just kind of forgetting all of that and being like, that looks like a fun co-op game. Like, there was still a lot to enjoy from that Xbox presentation, but like cinematically it wouldn't it doesn't necessarily sell and i think when when i think back to all of the big playstation 4 commercials and the big e3 montages and them just really showing these kind of big tentpole experiences you think about spider-man and horizon and uncharted and you know tsushima and and, and just how it's so easy to sell them cinematically it's so easy just to show the the main character from the game and you go yep I know exactly mm-hmm. what that is. Whereas you could show me a, a, a bit of Valorant and like, I might not know what it is. I might not, I could identify it right away. Um, and I just think that's Sony. I think even though you can still dig around the PSN store and find like really interesting experiences that are exclusive to that system or, or heavily promoted by Sony. But when you, when it's, when it's time for the big show, when it's time to really spend, you know, millions on commercials, um, they're only going to do it on stuff that, that has a strong narrative pull from, a, a small cast of characters, you know, that, um, uh, that they can cast someone as, you know, like you have that PSN, that commercial where Nathan Drake fought, like crashes the ceiling and then like grabs his grappling hook. And it's like, I think that's how they're used to selling their stuff. And so they get excited when, you know, presented from these companies with an IP that they're like, Oh yeah, that'll, you know, we, we can, that just fits neatly into a montage. That's my trailer brain answering that question. I, Brent, I agree with everything that you're saying, and and Brad, I, I agree with you too. But I, man, I get the where this person is coming from. Like, even watching Ghost of Tsushima, like Huber and I had, and Brad, you were there as well. We had a conversation of it during weekly hunts, and I was like, I kind of feel like maybe I've played this before. Like, there is there mm-hmm. is a a similarity uh, between these things where it's not, it's not even like a knock on the quality. Like, I I think these games are often very high quality. But I do get frustrated sometimes where they they sort of feel like games that are made to sell. And I know that that is a very obvious thing to say. Of course games are made to be sold. But uh, I, I think as this business goes on, companies get better at figuring out what appeals to the most amount of people. And I miss... And this could just be nostalgia, but I, I do miss, like, the PS1 era insanity where, like, you know, Parappa the Rappa was getting as much attention as, like, you mm-hmm. know, Metal Gear Solid or whatever. And and I I agree. I, I, think, I think these companies have a lot of power. I think first-party games have a lot of power. And so I do commend them when they go into new genres and new directions but the obvious answer there is that, right, like, they're not seeing the financial reward for that. Yeah, I mean, like, I always think of, like, Puppeteer on PS3, yeah. how, like, cool and awesome that game was, and it, no one cared. Right, exactly. And so, right, everything that I'm saying is moot if people just don't care. Um, yeah. But I feel like you could get a lot of that kind of experimentation you might be looking for from smaller games. Absolutely. I think a lot of smaller yeah. games are much more willing to take risks out there. Right. Like Sony, like these games they're making are so expensive and they need to see a return Absolutely. on it. Absolutely. Most of the time. So like they're about, they, of course they want to make a really great game, but they have to make something that'll make them money. 
I think it's a difference between uh, Microsoft right now and Sony, whereas I think Microsoft is much more willing to highlight those things, a la Fantasy Star Online 2, <laughs> you know, right. that like Sony might not give the level of attention to, you know, as as much as Microsoft would, because I think Microsoft is is really interested in appealing to their player base, to making people that have already invested in Microsoft satisfied with their investment because they're seeing all of these fun new uh, properties come to their console. And Sony's like, if we are going to say if we're going to put money into advertising something that thing has to break records like that thing has to be huge well I th- and so there's there's just safe bets sony's just playing one safe bet after the other and it's working honestly then- i don't think microsoft has games like that to show right now Mm-mm. so that's why they don't show them a lot like of yeah. course when gears was coming up they were like showing off gears like here's our big first party like big blockbuster game but it's like right now they haven't shown anything like that like go- uh, Last of Us and Ghost of Shima are like a month apart from each other or a couple months from each other. And it's like, these are very big games and Microsoft's probably saving a lot of their big, big, big stuff. Like Halo, like they're going to wait to show that kind of stuff. I do think part of this though is is why I have such an attachment to Nintendo. And I think you could flip it where like in terms of tone, there are a lot of similar stuff with first party games. But I, I feel like, you know, things that get a lot of attention from them you have like a luigi's mansion 3 and then you have like a captain toad and then you have like a fire emblem three houses and i just i i do feel like there's a lot of diversity in ideas and then you have something like splatoon or arms i don't even like arms that much but it's super weird and i'm happy that it exists mm-hmm. um and I, I i that is something that i always admire about nintendo is i think from a first party standpoint um Things consistently get pretty weird, uh, which I like. Like or, Origami <laughs> yeah. King looks weird. Like stuff's weird, but it also like is familiar. It's like sure. how many Paper Mario's have there been? Sure, that's fair. I think that's a fair counter to that. And it's like how many three D Mario's have they been? It's like right on the surface they look very similar. Like as someone like me who hasn't really played a lot of Paper Mario, I don't I don't know don't what's know really different about sure. this one. But like once you pr- maybe get in the nitty gritty, you could see something. But I'm I'm that's just comparing like Paper Mario with itself i'm saying like for a first party library like a paper yeah. is very different from a splatoon which is very yeah different from i mean i'd have to look at like an actual list sure. of everyone's first parties but like even just dreams coming right. out recently dreams is a great is like example one of the most ambitious games of all time right yeah and like dreams is so fascinating and definitely not for everybody and definitely something that is not going to appeal to a ton of people yeah. in the same well, way, like, you know. It, like, Sony had, like, Astrobot. Oh, yeah. Like, this crazy VR game. Sure. It's like, that's, cr- that's like, a weird experiment. Right. Yeah. Iron Man VR. It's going to be interesting to see how, yeah. how, how well that does sales-wise in July. I think taking all three companies, though, taking Nintendo and taking Microsoft and taking Sony, like... I think it is possible to find very distinct weaknesses in all three of them, but oh, taking sure. it together, right, mm-hmm. there is a lot of diversity, especially yeah. if you're willing to throw PC gaming into that mix as well. And like, yeah. if you're somebody that is fortunate enough to mess around with all of these platforms, I think you are very satisfied by the diversity yeah. that's that's available. Yeah. I think about like games like Drawn to Death that Sony like kind of was behind for a while Mm. and it's just like man that game died because no one cared about it it's like there's people try to do a lot of these ideas for stuff like this that just no one cared 
and and it can feel different because it's tough to gauge what quote unquote Sony is doing based on what they spend the most time talking about. Whereas mm-hmm. you could just jump into the PSN store and be like, what is this weird game? And right. like, just because it wasn't a part of a state of play or just because there's no trailer for it on their YouTube channel, you know, doesn't mean that they're not, you know, uh, throwing some interesting experiences out there uh, or investing in, in, in companies that uh, have, have fun ideas or, or made some weird PC game that they want to mm-hmm. bring to consoles. Um, but uh, yeah, especially right now, it's just like, they're not going to, Sony's not gonna uh, make make many moves outside of stuff that is specifically going to sunset the PS4 in a fantastic way, or right. specifically like all but force people to get a PS5. <laughs> they had Knack too, man. There's two Knack games. You know what? You know what? <laughs> That's game? all you had to say. <laughs> we were we were saying uh, Dreams is a, is a really good kind of counter to this argument. Death Stranding is like Death Stranding, like That's one of the not, weirdest games I've played this generation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like they don't own Kojima, but it's like they were heavily involved in this game. I mean, mm-hmm. it is a PS4 right now it is a PS4 exclusive. Yes. Game. Yeah, it's like Final Fantasy 7 is yeah. right mm-hmm. now still. Yeah. So I don't know. But I get it cuz like you're seeing Ghost of Tsushima and like God of War and Last of Us kind of in like in a close time period, so I could understand that. Yeah, I think this is this is an argument that maybe is not strictly true. But just kind of a feeling that somebody's getting, and I, I, I I'm sure. sympathetic toward that feeling where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, crazy ideas. And I, I need that stuff because, again, I'm, I'm Captain Towers. Like, I'm, the, I'm the guy that, like, once, you know, uh, you know, uh, Tsushima, once he got on his horse and started riding around, and they're like, you follow the wind to your next objective, and there's way too many things to do on the horizon than you can do in one evening sitting, and I'm just like. <laughs> you know yeah. saddle up let's do it where I, I i i it's really helpful to hear those voices of people that are like mm-hmm. i played this yeah. you know it's just like i'm excited because this is that's my jam but yeah, yeah. i mean i'm excited from the studio's pedigree mm-hmm. on that game right like i love the sly cooper games i liked infamous games quite a bit so they've been working on this game for a long time yeah so i'm super curious about it that's gonna do it for frame trap thank you so much to my panelists bradley ellis and brandon jones if you would like to write into Frame Trap, you can email askeasyallies at gmail.com. One more time, that is askeasyallies at gmail.com. Good emails this uh, this episode. Please send in more. I, I appreciate it. Appreciate how thoughtful you guys are. Um, if you want to find out more about us, go to patreon.com slash easyallies, uh, where we do a whole bunch of stuff. We review games. We have other podcasts. We have other shows. A lot of new stuff. There's one new thing on the horizon. It's not mm-hmm. really my place to talk about it, but you'll see it. You'll see it relatively mm-hmm. soon. Um, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for watching. And until next time.